0: Yo, dog! it's Andrew Claven here. You don't need to tell me. I already know you missed the latest episode of Daily Wire backstage. Don't worry. You can make it up to me by listening to the show here. Hopefully you can get through it before the republic collapses, but you better start listening right now.
1: Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter, as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1.44 p.m. Signed juror four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury in the above entitled matter, as to count two, third degree murder perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk. Find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at one forty-five p.m.
2: Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Backstage. I'm Jeremy Boring, joined by Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Andrew Claven, Michael Knowles and Candace Owens will be joining us directly. And we're, we've just learned the verdict in the Derek Chauvin uh, trial, and we will be coming to you uh, live with as many updates as possible. Right now, the verdict is guilty
3: uh, on all charges. Ben, tell us what it means. So it means that I'm not sure whether the, the sentencing is cumulative accumulative, or, whether it is, uh, or whether it is they take the top sentence and then everything else falls under that, but uh, because he doesn't have a criminal record, that means he maxes out at 12 and a half years for second degree murder, 12 and a half years for third degree murder, four years or so for the manslaughter charge. Um, the, it was pretty obvious from how fast the jury came back mm. that it was going to be guilty on all counts. As soon as they said the jury was coming back today, I immediately said to my producers and publicly that it was going to be guilty on all counts because they were never going to acquit on all counts that quickly. I mean, if there had been an acquittal, it would have taken a while to get there. Uh, my own prediction was that if there had been any sort of real evidentiary consideration, which I frankly do not think that there probably was in this case, it was a three week trial, there were 10 hours of consideration that is wildly disproportionate in a case that has yeah. this many conflicting fact patterns, um, that if they came back this fast, uh, it would be a guilty verdict. I thought any jury that looked at this would probably have gone hung jury on the on the two murder charges uh, and then maybe convicted on the manslaughter charge. Uh, if you were going to get very aggressive, that would be an aggressive jury. If you were a not aggressive jury, you would have hung on all three counts. Um, and if it had hung on all three counts, if it hung at all, then the, the judge would have instructed them to keep going back in the jury room, trying to beat it out because the fact is that You need a unanimous verdict for either acquittal or for conviction uh, in in Minnesota. The fact that it was unanimous that quickly meant pretty clearly that it was going to be conviction on all charges uh, coming out. You know, we'll have to see whether people who had, you know, spent their nights planning for rioting and looting now (laughs) actually go home or whether they go ahead and hit the local target in celebration, presumably, uh, of of the verdict. Um, But I think one thing is pretty clear for anybody who watched this case closely. I don't know how closely you watched it, Drew, or Jeremy. I know, Matt, you watched it really closely. Uh, for people who watched this case closely, there are elements here that it's very difficult to make the case to me that any rational jury would have, co- who just looked at the evidence would have come to the conclusion that beyond a reasonable doubt, Chauvin was guilty of second or third degree murder. This just did not fulfill the elements. The third degree murder charge particularly is absurd on its face. The third degree murder charge never should have been allowed in the courtroom. The third degree murder charge is, is a charge uh, for what is generally called depraved heart murder. Depraved heart murder is you throw a brick onto a freeway and you don't have anybody you're explicitly attempting to kill, but you end up killing somebody on the freeway. You shoot a gun into a crowd. That's depraved heart murder. And that was what the third degree murder charge was. You have to have intent to kill others, right? And then you end up killing one person. Mm. It was counted anyway. It shouldn't, have been on the te- it shouldn't have been on the docket. The second degree murder charge required felony assault that results in the murder. So usually that is where you're robbing a store. You got a gun. The gun accidentally goes off and kills somebody right or or the guy dies for some other reason while you're in the process of committing some sort of felony so you had to show that he intended to commit a felony against George Floyd it's very difficult to say that he intended to commit a felony against George Floyd because Minneapolis police department procedure allows you to do exactly what Chauvin was doing under the circumstances the manslaughter one was a little bit easier to make because of the charges in that in the manslaughter case Yeah, just have to have reckless disregard. So the the prosecution can make the case that even if he didn't mean to do anything bad, it was reckless for him not to get off of Floyd once Floyd was already unconscious and once Floyd was dying, he should have gotten off of him and it was reckless not to get off of him. But the fact that they convicted on all three counts says to me that they weren't really looking at the evidence because again, all three of those charges also rely on a simple question of causation, right? Did George Floyd actually die because Derek Chauvin was, was on top of him with his knee? What the defense showed repeatedly is that he did not have his knee on his neck. Right, there was no physical trauma to his trachea. There was no evidence that there had been physical trauma to his uh, to his arteries that would have cut off the oxygen to the brain. Uh, it, there, there are a couple of different types of asphyxia. There's there's physical asphyxia where you actually strangle somebody. Uh, there's you deprive somebody of oxygen to the brain by cutting off their blood supply uh, via their via their arterial blood flow. Uh, and then there is a chemical asphyxia, which is drug overdose. Uh, And and the fact is that George Floyd had three times the the deadly level of fentanyl in his system. He was high as a kite. He had 75 percent arterial blockage. The medical examiner originally said if I would found him dead in his room, I would have immediately assumed (laughs) that it was a drug overdose. Right. And the only reason that this became a national issue is because of the tape, which on its face, when everybody first saw it, looks really ugly because it turns out that a lot of policing looks really ugly. And then when you get all of the lead up, at the very least, You don't have to say that you love what Chauvin did. You don't have to say that that Chauvin acted appropriately. You don't have to say any of that stuff. What you do have to say is to not even believe that there's reasonable doubt on the murder charges, on the murder charges, where you would have to have intent. That suggests to me that this was far less about the actual facts of the case and far more about all of the hubbub surrounding the case. This trial never should have taken place in Minneapolis. It should have immediately been transferred in terms of venue. You were not going to find an impartial jury in Minneapolis in the single most publicized criminal justice case of our lifetime, at least since Rodney King, they don't sequester them. They didn't sequester them. Yeah. The, the, by the way, the, the judge Becau- in this because case because
2: they're not sequestered, you have major political figures, the mayor, the president of the United States, a sitting congresswoman, all calling for uh, for a guilty verdict. That has to have some impact on a jury, doesn't
4: yeah. it? O- hours after the judge in the case reprimanded Maxine Waters, who flew from D.C. to the city before the jury had started deliberating to demand a certain a guilty verdict. In fact, she demanded a verdict on premeditated murder, which he wasn't even charged with. And first of all, that whole, Maxine Waters going to, to, to Minneapolis, what else could that be other than an attempt to intimidate and tamper with the jury? What, what other motivation could you have to fly as a high-ranking uh, politician to the city where this local murder trial is happening and demand that the, that the jury come to a verdict? Either you believe in fair trials or you don't. Either you want the, the jury to weigh the evidence and come to a decision or you don't. It's clear that they don't hear. The, the problem, the irony is that the only verdict we could really trust is an acquittal in all counts. I think that would have been the right verdict, but it's also the only one you can trust because it's the only one that couldn't have been motivated by anything but um, a look at the evidence. But with this verdict, you have to obviously wonder, is that how they saw it when they investigated the evidence, or are they coming to this decision because they know their lives might be over? Might be ruined if they came to any other decision. They know that the media is going to leak their uh, their, their identity,
3: and they're going to be you know looking over their shoulder for the rest of their lives. Right, they had a choice. They could be the heroes of the republic today, or they could be the greatest villains in the history of the republic today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the, and this had been tried out by the media. The media wanted the riots. The media set this up. They want the riots. I don't know any other way, to, any other motivation for their behavior other than they want the polarization. For, they want the riots. Will there be riots anyway?
0: probably some but nothing like there would have been. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I was a court reporter. I was at an actual news, newspaper man in courtrooms and I'm very slow to judge to pass judgment on the verdicts of j- juries because I know that the world looks very different from the jury box than it does on TV or anywhere else. But the one thing we can say about this trial is this is one of the greatest failures of our governing class I've ever seen and it is part and parcel of the failure of the cl- of our governing class in handling uh, covid 19 and they're locked down and they're getting you know intoxicated with power but to have the president of the United States praying for the right verdict to have uh congresswoman sitting out there and p- calling for violence to have people in the press yamish Alcindor, is that her name mm-hmm. uh, CBS, say, yep. saying she could not believe that the the prosecutor was contradicting the d- defense was prosecuting the contra the uh the defense was pro- contradicting the prosecutor I thought like how, how That's stupid, a defense. How stupid are these people, you know? Yeah. It, uh, just before I got here, uh, Jenna Ellis tweeted uh, that she was praying that the jurors had acted justly no matter what the verdict was. The filth that came in, in answer to this, the kind of these kind of stunted, ugly, demonic answers of just pouring uh, absolute vile filth on her for not thinking that a trial should be decided on Twitter after watching a, vi- a video. And to Ben's point, I've, I've also covered a lot of cops. I've seen a lot of arrests. It is much, much easier to take a person down brutally than it is to take a person down safely. Yeah. To take a person down safely, you've got to wrestle him down. There's going to be violence. It's really ugly. It, frequently, they use more cops to do less damage. One cop can take you down just by hitting you over the head with a stick in the right place. Yeah. But four cops can take you down safely. And so the things that you see on these videos are not dispositive. They're simply not. You see a lot of ugly stuff on videos that move people. And of course, the politicians are working to gin up their uh, emotions and so are the press. It is a complete failure of our authoritative class, of our clerisy uh, in in defending American justice. And I, again, I'm not going to say this was the wrong verdict or the right verdict, but I will say that uh, the behavior of these people in, from the president on down has been absolutely shameful and dangerous.
2: Candace, joining us um... Your thoughts on the guilty verdict, guilty on all charges?
5: Um, It's the wrong verdict, in my opinion. And I think that it's indicative of the fact that we now live in mob rule. This is mob rule, society. I mean, this is based on the evidence that we saw. And and this was polluted from start to finish. So to me, the most important element of this, which I found to be astonishing, was the fact that they never released the full police footage. They had it. They sat on it. They locked it down. It leaked months and months later after the riots, um, You know, via the Daily Mail, I think. But when I watched the full tape, I was astonished that they didn't think to just at least add this context so that people understood, yes, this person was high out of his mind. He asked to be put on the ground. He was resisting arrest. Let's not forget what the media, what they did, the power they had in setting up this narrative to begin with. First, the media said, he was just getting his life together. Do you remember St. George yeah, Do you this guys all remember St. George, yeah. right? He was just getting his life together. He had moved to Minnesota. Yes, he was, you know, had, had been in prison in the past, but he was just helping the youth, and everyone was crying, and, and it was, "Oh my gosh, this man has, you know, was getting a second chance at life, and you know, maybe had the wrong idea or whatever it was, 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 was using uh, counterfeit bills, and somebody called the police, and, and then he was killed. He was brutally murdered uh, yeah. on the basis of him being black. No indication. Uh, Nothing was said out of Derek Chauvin's mouth that, uh, you know, should insinuate that this was about being black versus white. But that was what the media ran with. And then they successfully hid every piece of evidence that would have transformed public opinion. Right. Every piece of evidence that would have said, wait a second, there's more here. And they were upset when I released a video and just went over his track record because it was clear to me, according to his track record, that it was very unlikely that a person that spends, you know, approximately nine Prison stints, nine stints in prison was really just getting his life together after having served the last one. So, you know, to me, I think the saddest part of this is that what we need to acknowledge is that right now, mob rules. The media creates the mob, and the mob rules, and that's what we just saw play out.
2: So, what do we say about it? Candace makes this great point: the the media had this footage. Every person in the United States of America, probably half the people in the world, saw this footage within days of, of the actual. Event and we all, I think, probably had a visceral reaction to it. Very difficult footage to watch. Once you, once you emotionally attach a judgment to something like that, is it possible to have your mind changed? I mean, yeah,
4: that's why I think we all. It's a a lesson that hopefully we've all learned by now. That you just, I don't care what the video looks like. I don't care what it looks like. The first video you see, um, especially when it's it's just starting, you know, you're not you're not getting. There, there, there's always going to be an interaction before where the video starts. And so whatever it looks like on the video, you cannot come to a conclusion. We just went through this hmm. with um, the 13-year-old kid. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. But uh, that, uh, another, another horrible video where you're, you're watching a 13-year-old kid in a back alley getting shot. He did have his hands up. Um, and it looks horrible. Of course, it upsets everybody. But
5: they never but- even released the police footage. Right. So remember, the, the video that we saw the Nine Minutes was somebody else shooting it. They never released this. Let's just talk about how unusual that is, right? That they never released this full footage so that we could at least see the context and see more, at least be able to discern more facts other than somebody who's a bystander filming the video. And remember when Brad Parscale, I want to bring up Brad Parscale. Do you remember how quickly that footage was released when Brad Parscale, you know, got arrested when he was drunk and he got into a spat with his wife? They released that footage like almost in the next minute, it was it was it, he got arrested on a Monday, and we had the footage by Monday afternoon. But George Floyd footage, it was never for public consumption. The Daily Mail got it months later and released it. But you I, also, know.
4: I also think we're we're probably at a point now where. The, the full context doesn't even matter because, like I say, with a thirteen-year-old kid, it comes out. Oh, he had a he had a gun. he was just he had right. a gun. He was just firing it at cars passing by. He's in a gang area. The cop doesn't know that he's thirteen. You know, he he, he ditches the gun behind a fence. The cop can't see that. He turns around. Like obviously, that's a justified right. shooting. But it, it, I think, from from the perspective of the left and the media, if 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 a police officer shoots a non-white person, it is not justified period they at at this point
3: jacob blake right i mean you saw both both kamala harris and joe biden reach out to jacob blake's family the man had been at the house of a woman who called the cops on him because he had allegedly digitally raped her not all that long ago the cops show up he resists arrest he pulls a knife on the cops he refuses to abide by any of their requests he reaches into the car they shoot him and still there are riots in kenosha wisconsin and we see all the tape of it and we're told that the police got this wrong.
5: Oh, don't forget, the NFL put Jacob Blake on the back. The, the New Orleans Saints put Jacob Blake on the back of their helmets during practice to honor him.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, to it's, honor
0: a, him, which is which is also shameful, by the way, holding these guys up as heroes, even if they're unjustly killed, even if they don't deserve oh, this to is die. This point. This is right? my and point. When I got you know it's, the it's
5: the disgusting. the video I did, the 100 million views, yeah. and they couldn't believe it because oh my gosh, I'm alleging that maybe your little child shouldn't be. Well, I don't care what's happened. Maybe she shouldn't be wearing a George Floyd shirt. Maybe they shouldn't be getting baptized in George Floyd. Circle or you know, wherever it was they were taking their, their children to be baptized. They literally tried to turn transform him into a saint. Yeah. You know, they wanted to saint this man. And, and all you had to do was look at his record and say, he has a wake of victims in his path. In his, in his past. Right. Imagine the woman who, when he you know, got arrested for the armed robbery, broke into her home, uh, put, you know, put a gun to her stomach. Her child, her, her, her minor child was in the room during that time because he was looking for drugs and money. He pretended, they, they pretended to be the water man, you know, and, and he breaks into the home. And imagine that woman watching the media saint this man. Right. Imagine that 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 victim. And I, why I always say this is that actually, black female lives definitely don't matter. And well, that's true. Because too. these that's black true. men that they keep hailing as heroes yeah. and victims always leave a trail of female black victims in their wake, and nobody cares. That's and a common
4: theme, right? Because Dante Wright, most Dante Wright, uh, yeah, one of the more recent ones, he robbed a woman at gunpoint. Yeah. She was going to get her rent money. He had just spent the night at her house. She allowed him to stay. She's going to get her rent money. He follows her, robs her at gunpoint, reaches into her to her bra actually to take the money. So that's sexual assault. He chokes her, um, and then
3: George Floyd, Jacob Blake. I mean, this is like heroes. All of
5: them heroes. uh, Yeah, the women.
3: How they treat women. But I think what a lot of this comes down to for the media is that there is a single factor analysis that they're using, which is the worst kind of analysis to use because it it just removes all the confounds. And the single factor analysis is. All the problems that are experienced in America in the criminal justice system, all the racial problems in America, are due to cops, all of them. Which is insane. And therefore, if the cops are if the cops are the problem, that means it doesn't matter what the the alleged victim was doing. It doesn't matter what the suspect right. was doing. And not only that, it means that you have a, an immediate polarity because you have a villain, mm. and it's not enough. You can't say that they're. There's a person who has a bad criminal record and also the cop shouldn't have done what he did to this person. Right? right. You can hold both of those things. Right. You could have come to the conclusion that Derek Chauvin acted wrongly and should have been convicted for manslaughter and still said George Floyd isn't a hero. That is quite possible to right. say those things. But because the media uses single factor analysis, which is that America is a white supremacist country and therefore black people are deprived of all agency, are not responsible for any of their own actions. That means that it is just a question of good versus evil, and you can identify it as quickly as looking at the races of the people who are involved, without looking at the tape, without looking at any of the evidence in any of these cases. But We've seen cases in Chicago well, where, where even, it turns if, out, a cop will shoot somebody, and before you even know the facts of the case, somebody will send a text to somebody saying, "White cop, black suspect," and there are riots in the Chicago Loop. You remember this happened? And the a race few is
5: always ago. missing. They always conveniently remove the race if, if it's the other way around. They'll just say shooter,
2: or right? or invent a race, as with. Uh, the Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, uh, uh, George Zimmerman, right? A white Hispanic. It,
0: I think the, the terrible part of, of the context that is completely, doubly erased is first the high crime in in black neighborhoods, which is not the fault of the police. I mean, whoever, fa- whoever fault it is, the police are the last guy on the ladder to receive this. They've just got to stop the crime. If the police had a, an app on their phone that could show criminal intent, they wouldn't be looking at the color of a person's face. They'd be looking at the app on their phone. They're just trying to find out the, who the bad guys are, and most of the people they're protecting are the same, have the same color skin as they do. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is just the fact that putting all of this stuff on the cops as if that they had some kind of social power to shape the behavior of people right. in their neighborhoods if they don't have that well By
3: the way, the right right police... now how can you be a police officer that's, okay. so, well, that's what that's what, is, what I is the incentive what's the incentive it's, it's... It is, you're about to see a crime spike like you have never yep, seen in America's yep. major cities. We've seen it already. You're already Absolutely. seeing it. It's a 30% increase in homicide yep. in America's major cities. None of those are red cities. They are all blue cities. They're all run by Democrats. I'm getting calls from members of the Minneapolis Police Department, NYPD, Chicago PD, LAPD, Washington DC PD. I'm getting calls from members of police departments all over the country, heads of unions, people saying our police officers are just going to leave. They're going to take yep. the early retirement if they can get it. And if they can't get it, they'll still leave. Or if they do continue to serve, they will sit there by the radio. And if there is a call for a crime and they're a white officer and the person is a person of color who's a suspect, they will think twice before going to answer that crime. Not because they don't want to help out. Like, Most of the people who join the cops are going what, to help they, out. That, this is why they started this. Yeah. If, you, if you're if you a white guy and you want to serve in the Washington, D.C. police department, it's not generally because you're some sort of statist who wants to harm black people. It's because you want to help the 85 percent black community in the particular area that you're policing. And the people who are going to pay for this are not white people on CNN. It's not going to be all the white jerks on court TV who are celebrating today. The people who are going to pay for all of this are all of the same people who are going to be abandoned when the cops leave their city. I don't don't blame the cops.
5: I don't blame the cops. And I think we're going to see this. I do not blame the cops. If I had, you know, if my son grew up and said, yeah, and said, I want to be a police officer, I'd say, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? And let's just talk about to draw a parallel. And I brought this up earlier this week. Number three leading cause of death in America Are medical mistakes. A quarter of a million plus people are killed every year because of medical mistakes. Uh, Presumably, a lot of those people that are being killed are black. Could you imagine a scenario where they suddenly said, you know, doctors shouldn't be paid, you know, let's, let's, uh, doctors should have their jobs removed, doctors should go on trial, doctors, doctors should be put behind bars every time they make a mistake. Uh, Even the idea that a police officer Mm -hmm. is never allowed to make a mistake, like in the case when she, you know, she misfired. Again, none of this stuff would happen, these mistakes, if people could listen to police officers' instructions. It's not that hard, right? And right now, you have black Americans that are learning that it doesn't matter. You shouldn't have to. In fact, the best case scenario is for a police officer to do anything wrong while you're resisting arrest because you will be transformed from a hero. When I say transform. I'm talking about from a drug dealer, from a drug user. I mean, all of these people from an accused rapist into a hero. All you have to do is resist arrest and hope that a police officer makes a mistake in the moment, which is likely to happen when adrenaline is running through your in your veins because you're wondering am i going to survive this because police officers also have to go home to families, right? Am I going to live when Rashad, whatever his name was, our, Rashad, um, who was the guy in Atlanta? Rashad Brooks. Yeah, who yep. grabbed, Rashad Brooks grabbed the taser. Yep. What are you thinking a police officer is going to think in that moment? And yet still, the police officers are always demonized. There is no incentive right now and in this country if, to be a police officer. Even if, the,
0: no even if the cop is a bad cop, there are 700,000 police officers in this country. That's the uh, population of San Francisco. If 1% of them, are bad cops. If 1% of them are bad cops, that's a lot of bad but, cops if if we look at this country as if it were like a small town. And that's the way uh, social media and the news media have combined to make us think about this country. Like, wow, 13, what is it, 18 unarmed black people were shot last year? Like 18 people in a country of 350 million? people. Although,
2: according, million uh, black yeah, according to... Uh, According to a survey of the left, it's over 1,000.
3: Yeah, I know, I know. Right. They, 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 in their imagination. In their imagination. Which is a very dangerous place. By the way, there are over 40 million police-civilian interactions every year. 40 million police-civilian interactions. And every one of those interactions is between the police and somebody having a bad day. <laughs> because, the, because the reason that you're talking to the cops is because you had a bad day. Right, right. I mean, that, that the, the, again, the, the people who are going to pay for the, the media's malfeasance here, are, are not members of the media who have the private security sitting outside yeah. their homes, and members of the uh, members of private security sitting outside the headquarters of CNN. It's going to be all, all people. if
0: they get criticized. At, you it's, know, it's, let alone actually, I actually want to pick
2: up on this point. I think it's important uh, because we see it at so many levels of our society right now that the the media are so detached from the experience uh, of everyday Americans. Our politicians are so detached from the experience of everyday Americans. You have you know you you have uh, Jeff Bezos makes a hundred billion dollars. He makes his first hundred billion dollars. God bless him. He created an amazing service, revolutionized the world. Uh, I don't begrudge him being the richest man in the world. He does that over the lifetime of Amazon to date. Uh, then through his newspaper that he owns, the Washington Post, through uh, through the circles in which he runs, which are politicians and media elite, uh, he promulgates uh, this entire idea of only lockdowns can save us, only completely shutting down the world can save us. And the only company that can be allowed to still exist during that time is mine is Amazon. He makes another hundred billion dollars. I begrudge him that hundred billion dollars. That's not capitalism. I begrudge Paul. I begrudge uh, Fauci uh, saying, you know, maybe not not by this summer, possibly, possibly by this summer, but then we'll have to stop again. But definitely by next summer, you will definitely be able to eat in a restaurant for the first time in 2022 and see your loved ones for the first time in two years. And you're like, what are you talking? about? millions of Americans who don't live in New York City, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, and, and Los Angeles and Chicago have been seeing their family the whole time, have been eating inside at restaurants the whole time. But he's so detached from the people over whom he would rule that he doesn't even know that they don't all live their lives like him. The people telling us that we can't work all have jobs. The people telling us uh, that we can't have police all have private security. This, this elite mentality, this detachment between the elite and And the rest of us, and and I'm. I shouldn't say the rest of us were elite. Well, let me ask a question.
0: You know, we're, we're, we're elite to be an elite and to be an elite and to be an elite. You know, when this when right. started with this 15 days to slow the spread, you said to me, "This is a terrible idea." And I thought, "Well, 15 days to slow the spread. We don't know what's coming. It kind of makes sense." But it was a terrible idea, not because it was a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea because they're terrible people. They are people who despise the people that they govern. And given the fact that most—I mean—by
2: the way, if they had said 15 days to slow the spread, and I had believed for one second that that's what they meant, <laughs> I would have gone, "Oh yeah, let's yeah, all yeah, stay home yeah, one exactly. time the
5: government took powers and then gave them back that's right, right. come on don't right. be ridiculous like, I, just, I mean i, I just was just the first to... one saying don't do it don't do it and everyone was like oh it's gonna be fine it's like common sense i mean say, have anybody opened a history book i mean have you looked at you don't even have to open a history book i mean are we still not operating under the patriot act remember that was going to be just temporary. Yeah, yeah. don't remember guys just gonna be a temporary thing anybody can get an airplane and, and things haven't you know changed in terms of you know having to have a cavity search i mean they they, they never they never give it back but I do want to go deeper because you just said, okay, it's ruling over people. But like, is that actually what they're after? Because I have to ask myself, we know where this is going to end. More black deaths than ever before, right? The whole George Floyd, the, the protests, the riots, it all ends in more black death, right? The more black people die in the, pro, in the George Floyd protests than, you know, are killed by police officers every year. Police officers are 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black man than the other way around. But let's table that for a second. What is the point? of the media doing this. And I, I'm, I'm serious, what is the point of not wanting people to be calm and rational and not riot and loot and kill each other? Like, what is what is the point? What, what are they actually after through this? I have to ask myself that question. And I'm not even you know trying to posit a conspiracy. I'm actually like, let's be the media right now and say, okay, we want them to, why?
0: Well, the philosophy that says a good crisis should never go to waste needs a good crisis all the time. They think the weather is a crisis. They think the sun, you know, the but sun. But black people write it. what does it do? What does
5: it do? Well, How it, are they winning people, with that? It makes
0: people lose, lose their sense, their common sense of the things you just said, that once they take power, they never give it back. How do you get the power? You can get the can power I say, I'll
2: say something great. controversial that, that uh, I'm, I'm sure I shouldn't say. I actually think it's that to the media elite, black people aren't people. It, it all comes down to this uh, they it's this sort of um, uh, m- not mirroring but projecting where everything that they basically say is evil about the right is true about them well, they say that we don't that see that they say that we don't see people's fundamental humanity we do we see their individual humanity but they actually don't see people's individual humanity Th- they are a special class of people real people and people who are different than them this is why the the coastal elite hate uh, you know the number one, Essentially, the number one comorbidity in the country where COVID is concerned is obesity. Obesity, yeah. They hate the obese. So you never hear them saying things like, maybe it would be good if during this time of national crisis, we tackled obesity, which is the number one predictor of whether or not you're going to die from COVID-19. They don't not do that because they don't know. They don't do it because they don't care. They dislike fat people with their little snarky remarks about maybe you go home to Olive Garden uh, and support Donald Trump. They, they, They spit this crap out constantly. And I think it's true, uh, candidly, uh, with how the with how they see you know, non-white Americans. I, I think that they well, think non- non-white Americans are a, a group; they're not individuals. They're they're a thing that. That all of doesn't explain Antifa right.
5: in Portland. Doesn't explain Antifa in Portland. I think I think what they, Matt, what you're saying is right.
2: They, they, they,
4: it's they lack the concept of human dignity. They don't they don't see us as as possessing human dignity. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. I also want to make a. Well, point. Well, they see it's, their own dignity. About before. yeah, that's true. That's true. Just about the police. I think there's a really important point here, because as was mentioned, you know, 40 million interactions, there's 10 million arrests basically every year. A thousand police shootings. Um, a fraction of those like 14, you know, 14 to 25 are going to be unarmed shootings of a black person. And then there are going to be a few more that are unarmed shootings of white people. If you even if you bear down even on that number, which I have done for the year 2019, I actually looked at every single unarmed shooting of a black person. And what I found is that at least half of them were clearly justified because the, 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 the yeah. black oh, yeah. perp was in the process of trying to kill a cop with a car. That doesn't count as being armed. Um, so it, even when you look at that, it's even most of those shootings are justified. But the unjustified shootings, okay, even the unjustified ones, and there are a few each year, a few. Of course. And none of them that I have seen, and at least in recent history, had anything to do with race. When, when cops make a decision to shoot someone, whether it's justified or not, in almost every case, they're making that decision based on self-preservation. It, we, yeah. This other thing, the media lacks an understanding of human nature. Human nature is you want to you go home to your family. And so even in the bad shootings, Daniel Shaver uh, in, in Mesa, Arizona, white man, a few years ago, he was shot dead Last by the police, ever. unarmed, literally on his knees, begging for his life. That's what they said Michael Brown was doing, but he wasn't. This guy, and it's on body cam footage, he's on his knees, begging for his life. He's crawling towards <laughs> him. crawling towards him. They shoot him dead. Why do they do it? Not because everyone there is white. It's not racism. Do those cops just show up looking to kill someone that day? No, they're not all, serial killers. All of them. They, they. I think it's just that they were not willing to take any chance with their own lives, and they would rather on the on the like one percent chance or point 0.1% chance that this guy posed a threat. They said, "I'm just going to shoot him dead." Yeah, but so this, is, this goes is, to my is point. The police,
2: the police actually are real people, and real people view people as into view others as individuals, and so they enter all of these situations making actual. Actual, real-world, individual assessments of what is happening right in front of them. But the media doesn't do that. Right. They see themselves as individuals.
3: They see, they see right. themselves as fully formed. And everyone else is a two-dimensional... Well, this is right. But, but I think that that goes to the, the even broader question that Candace is asking, which is, why are they like that? And I think the answer is they're utopian. If mm-hmm. you if you talk to journalists about what they think they're doing in the world, they say things like, it's our job to speak, to, to, to take power... Uh, from the powerful and give power to the powerless. It's tight. We have to right. give a voice to the voiceless. We have to reestablish justice in the universe. I mean, they sound like they're they're reading a bad Superman comic, right? I mean, the, everything they think they are doing. We have to speak truth to power. We are the we are the voice of the oppressed. Right? We have to establish justice. These are not things that journalists. Were traditionally tasked with doing. Usually, we thought that a journalist was the guy with like the battered hat, with maybe a high school degree, whose job it was just to report on what was going on. But now there's this kind of highfalutin idea that right. they are the drivers of grand social change in the United you States. Don't
5: believe it's more nefarious than that because they know they're lying, right? By omitting the truth, you're, you're telling no.
3: Them I'm, I'm, I'm saying right? that I know that they're lying, and I think they know they're like, lying, and I think FIFA. that they. And, and but I think that when are so not blinded, a group? when when you're so blinded by your own utopian vision, everything around you becomes either a tool or an obstacle. You know what, yeah. and everything for these folks is a tool or an obstacle. And, and the thing is, once people are reduced to being tools of your of your, instruments of your will, once that happens, yeah. only single only single factor analysis applies to those people. See, in our own lives, this is why you see the hypocrisy of Gretchen Whitmer, who understands all of the uh, all, all of the you know in, intricate console uh, in, the intricate factors that lead to the fact that she needs to go to Florida and visit her sick father. Okay, all of us have a sick relative that we wanted to visit, yeah. and so. As just a human being, I don't begrudge her visiting Florida. I begrudge that she's telling everybody else they can visit Florida, to visit their <laughs> sick parents. <laughs> so for people who are utopian, just to sort of finish the point, for people who are utopian, the idea is that they get to look at the multi-factor analysis that goes into being a fully rounded human being. But because they are reaching for a utopia, and because people are complex, and because that complexity is an obstacle to their utopian vision, they have to reduce everybody down to two-dimensional widgets. And that means that, once, yeah. that any data point can be reduced down to these two-dimensional versions of reality that in some cases are just flatly false, and then crammed into the narrative. And that's what you see in cases like the Chauvin case. How did this become a proxy? Forget about the actual activity here. How in the world did this become a proxy for race in America? There is zero evidence. America is on trial. They they kept saying America is on trial. What happens in this trial is going to say everything about where America is on race. There is not one shred of evidence. There is no allegation. There is nothing that says that this had to do with race. Nothing. They couldn't come up with a Even if it was
2: murder. Even if it was murder. Even if it was first degree murder.
3: There is is no evidence, which was not even alleged. There was no evidence whatsoever that Chauvin said, oh, a black guy... That's why I'm going to kill him today. But the, like, st- the
0: strange thing to me, the, the huge disparity that always uh, strikes me is the the disdain they have for ordinary people on the one hand and how stupid they are on the other. I mean, it, it, and I mean that I don't mean that just as an insult. I mean, it literally, if you took the combined IQ of Chris Cuomo and Brian Stelter and Don Lemon, it, you could roll it on a pair of dice, you know. But yeah, I mean, this is, well, Ben. You know, no matter what you think of Ben's opinion, Ben has more information in this like white part of the of his fingernail than these guys have in their entire heads, and yet they feel justified in lying to the people that they're supposed to report to because they think they have to guide you to where you have to go. Right. What? Where on earth did that entitlement come from? What moment did they look because in the mirror? They know
3: Utopia and, better than you. They know Utopia better. They than, know they know their th- fantasies th- better. And, and, yeah. and so, if they know what the vision is, yeah. if they're the prophets. The prophets don't have to present facts. The prophets just the, present the, the ultimate yeah. vision, and then it's your job to listen to them because otherwise you're not listening to the prophet. I mean, you get you this, don't it, know what's good for you. You don't, and, 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 and which unifies this whole <laughs> conversation, you thought right?
0: Thought that you would at least, you know, have an IQ of I don't know. But you know, does it I, make
5: sense because <laughs> you can say that they, they believe in utopian vision, but when they step outside and they look around and you see New York the way it looks, and Minnesota the way it looks, and you and you see Los Angeles the way it looks, because people are rioting no and fact. looting, and I mean, this, it, people are leaving the state, right? Why would they want to live? In that environment, because, of course, this is not going to stop it, right now. It might be contained into the inner cities, but they're going to eventually start riding and looting the suburbs when things happen. Right. Because you can't like the case with Antifa. They couldn't contain it. They were so supportive of Antifa for years. Democrats. Oh, they're the anti fascists There's that whole they're story not, in Minneapolis. It's an idea. Right? Joe Biden said it's an idea. They, have not, they are burning down Portland every single night. What they are doing is incredible because the Democrats won't acknowledge that these people are not an idea. This is thuggery in America. These are actual domestic terrorists that you're looking for. They're, they're on the ground in Portland every single but night. Yeah, but their, last, their
3: last words will be, but I'm one of the good ones. But, but that, that's right. I mean, because when you think about, okay, so simultaneously while this is happening today, Maxine Waters, the, the Repub- House Republicans try to push a censure vote on Maxine Waters. And the the announcement the verdict was coming out happened in the middle of that censure vote every single democrat voted in favor of, tem- of tabling the censure vote of course every single one right not a single democrat broke ranks and said you know maybe we should say something about the fact that this lady who's been incentivizing rioters since she was in congress I mean right. going all the way back to 92 she was calling i mean i was living there i was eight and i remember maxine waters on the tv saying that the la riots were the la uprising mm-hmm. right like she's been doing this her entire career so this is nothing new for maxine waters who's the most corrupt member of congress bar none there really are no close competitors the the unwillingness of a single Democrat to condemn her, again, it goes back to the utopian because when there are Republicans that Republicans don't like, usually we look, we look at them and we say that guy's ideas really suck, right? Like if there's if there's a Republican and we look at him and he says something that's bad or he does something that's bad, we're like we don't want to be anywhere near this person. This person's like yucky. Roy Moore in Alabama, you got a Democratic senator from Alabama because Republicans in Alabama said we don't want to be anywhere near this guy. We don't like what he's saying. We don't like what he's doing. For Democrats, they have yet to meet a Democrat so radical that the person is bad. In fact, sometimes they're the best of them. In fact, in fact the listen- more the more pure they are. It, it, the, the, this is why the AOCs and the Ohio Mars and the, and the Maxine Waters are actually as- aspirational figures because it's just that we, you know, the mature members of the Democratic Party, we know that you kind of have to be Machiavellian in place in politics so about this sort of stuff. Here but from- they're so innocent and so wonderful and so joyous that we just have to, we, you know at least give them props for their ideological purity. So here from Speaker Pelosi herself,
2: speaking in front of the Capitol at a a Congressional Black Caucus presser. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. (laughs) Because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous for justice. Oh wow, that's a religious cult. I was going to say
4: that she then
0: right. this give us the right. This is literal right. Right. drug
5: addict. Yeah. Okay? he was a drug addict. He was he abused women. He abused men. He, you know, this is this is disgusting. That, that is it actually grosses me out. Do we have no better examples to put forward in the black community when you think of the word justice? You think of George Floyd. I mean, how far we have fallen since Martin Luther King. It, it honestly makes me sick. It makes me sick. It's so upsetting to me as a black person to see what is coming out as representative of the black community, what we are told we should be holding up. Do you think those words will be written when Clarence Thomas dies? Do you think those words will be written when Thomas Sowell dies? Do you think those words will be written when Dr. Condoleezza Rice dies? That's why I ask the question why. It's almost like they are trying to intentionally pivot the attention of black Americans into celebrating degeneracy. At every turn, right? It, 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 think it's, they, it's, think of,
0: they think of black people. Whether
5: it's called yes. Whether it's culture, this is who we're going to name Woman of the Year, right? Cardi B, Cardi B. Whether it's talking about, you know, civil justice. George Floyd is now the emblematic of civil justice. He's so he's so brave. What he sacrificed his life. I mean. There is something very sinister and very disgusting happening right now in this country in terms of how they are trying to pollute black minds. And it goes all the way from the education system and critical race theory to these disgusting words. And I will call them disgusting because they are and they are false. George Floyd died. He was a drug addict, period. Whether you have an opinion about whether Jarek Chauvin, you know, should have spent some time in prison. Yes or no. We should all agree that this man is not emblematic of justice. Right. Well, I mean, it, like, it infuriates me.
4: And he's in- Aside from being a drug addict, I mean that's 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 important. That's I think that's why he died. But but uh, this was a man. There's there's no indication this was a man who preyed on his own community and yes. you know b- b- forcing your way into a woman's home and robbing her at gunpoint in front of her child. That's not some small mistake. It's also no. not something he did when he was sixteen. He said it he twice. Armed robbery was twice. Yeah. This is this is this is really depraved evil that this person was capable. of. And what you're seeing there is it it really is it, it the anti-racism stuff takes on the shape of a religious cult. Because you've got you have your literal savior figure who who sacrificed himself, talking about him like he's a Christ figure, really, literally. I understand. I read it. Yeah, so sacrifices life. It's and no the thing so about I'm Jesus is that
3: I may not be a New Testament scholar, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it seems to me that Jesus, in your guys's version of this, wanted to. Be sacrificed, right? I mean, like at the very least, no he one taking my that. life from me. I lay it down. He said, e- "Yeah, I mean, if you're supposed to be the son of God, you pretty much don't have to do that." Right. <laughs> so, so to, to equate those two things, of yeah, course, it, it is also also on his face. They but an- name another another after after important him. Wait for the-
5: it. They will name streets yeah. after George Floyd. I- another, and another-
2: to, to your point, what, last, I actually think that the left is about to turn on Martin Luther King Jr. Of
0: I, I do too. Of I do too.
4: I think
2: yeah. I think he's toast.
4: Yep. But I think another important part of the religious cult aspect of the anti-racism thing is you have your Christ figure, which is important, but you also have the concept of inherited guilt, and it, it and this right. is taking on it's, it's, it's very similar to the Christian idea of original sin, um, and but but now but in this case it's a racial, and so as as white people we all have this inherited guilt of of racism and slavery because of course white people are the only people that ever did this in history according to the left anyway, and uh, and so we need to atone. Of for that sin through you know making pilgrimages now to the Holy Land
2: the holy s- spot where George Floyd was killed it it, it really is religious and this is all utopian right? ideologies mirror Christianity right so they they all have a concept of original sin that's actually the the fundamental thing that unites all uh, utopian ideologies it, it, including by the way say libertarianism which posits that the original uh, that the original sin is government force coercion. Uh, you have uh, communism, which, which posits that the original sin is class. You have this new uh, anti-racist uh, cult that's forming that posits that the, the original sin is some sort of systemic uh, racism. They, they all acknowledge that there's something wrong with man. They disagree about what the something wrong with man is, uh, but they all believe that there is some sort of sin that has to be flushed uh, fleshed out by their new clergy that they're creating, and with their new liturgy that they're creating, with their new penance uh, practices that they're creating, and by by that mechanism, we might be redeemed into their utopia. And of course, what we on the on the right believe is that we we agree that there's an original sin. Original sin, and the and we don't believe that it can be purged. This is the fun, the fundamental distinction between right and left. Right. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, we believe there's an original sin, and you can't. Unmake it,
4: and we all share it because yeah. those right. utopias, that you, share you point out those are their original sins. And the other thing is that there's it's a certain segment we of the, the population it. that right. carries it, and they're the villains. Whereas within the in the you know theological idea of original sin, it's the the, the, the whole human race. It's kid. all of us, and
2: we're trying to
3: figure out what to what to do with it, not what to do about it. You know, there, there's something that that I was thinking about earlier, and sort of back to something you were saying, Candace, about the the perversion and the, the attempt to build up certain people as heroes who clearly are not heroes. And again, it, it's amazing that you got so much flack for saying this while not even talking about what Derek Chauvin did, whether it was right or wrong, because right. two things can be true at once. You can believe that Derek Chauvin should go to jail. and You can also I said believe that three times. I, I, I know. Times, I know you did. I, he should have acted differently. I know you did. And and but for for the left, it you know, kind Rice, used the phrase the soft bigotry of low expectations to talk about how the left treats black Americans, Mm -hmm. with the idea being that you don't have to perform as well in the SATs, that's fine. You know, we can't expect that of you because of course you're black, right? Which is the soft bigotry of low expectations. So I tweeted that the other day about the the mentality uh, that surrounds rioting and looting, that we have now reached a point in the United States where whenever there is an incident that involves a white cop and and a black suspect, we expect, we full on expect there to be rioting and looting. It's not as though we say, oh God, I hope there's not rioting and looting. We start boarding up our windows. We start making our, tri- our plans to, to leave town if we can. We start, we start canceling school in Minneapolis. We cancel NBA games preemptively. Like, we know it's going to happen, and we accept it as norm. right? We accept it as, like, this is how it's just going to be. Like, of course there were National Guard troops that were on the, on the roof of the, of the courthouse while the verdict was being read. Of course the D.C. helicopters, uh, the PD is up there in the helicopters in advance of this. Ver- I mean, like, that's just normal. That's the way that it works. So I tweeted out, this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And um, I believe that it was uh, Jason Whitlock tweeted back, no, stop calling it soft bigotry. That's not soft bigotry. That's just bigotry. And it is. It's it's not the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's the pure bigotry of no expectations. (laughs) Because there's a belief that there is, you are expected, human behavior is not expected because our system is so grave and so horrible that we've perverted it. And so there's no point in even trying, which is the worst message you could possibly give to anybody. It treats them. As not as non-human and treats them as incapable of agency of making good decisions and when the media promulgate this lie that if you're black in America you are at ex- existential risk and and that you being black in America is a wearying prospect where you're constantly weary where you're constantly tired where you're Jonathan Capehart writing for The Washington Post for hundreds of thousands of dollars and appearing on MSNBC every day but you're exhausted by the prospect of being black in America I, I, I that that sort of mythos that's built up relieves the the possibility—forget individual responsibility, which it clearly relieves. It relieves the possibility of you being able to live your own life in a productive and, and meaningful right. way. But
5: the thing is, is like I want to be careful how I say this because it's controversial. But I I met years ago with a very prominent black political figure, and I sat down in his office, and he said to me, "You know, you're going to get to the point where you're going to you're going to lose hope. You're going to lose faith in the black community. You're just going to be tired of it, right?" I can feel myself now going from genuinely wanting Black America to wake up to wondering if we ever are, ever are, you know what I mean? Yeah. like it, it's like we can sit here and, and I can feel bad. Oh, it's not fair. you know the, the education system is doing this, the media is lying to black America. But when you look out and you see this kind of stuff, right it's like I'm tired of the handholding now, right. I'm almost getting tired of you know, the handholding where it's like, you know it's it's not difficult to try to pursue the truth, right? It's not that difficult to try to pursue the truth. These people are clearly not our friends, right? They obviously don't have high opinions. But here's the thing. They're setting lower and lower expectations, but we keep meeting these lower and lower expectations. You know what I mean? When you look at the statistics in in black America, what are we, 13% of the population, and we account for over 50% um, of of all of the violent crimes. These are problems that are never going to get addressed. Our communities are going to be, you know, Further, the, the, the black communities, people that live in the projects, those are about to get a lot worse. And the only key to all of this is education. It right? might be- the only way this gets fixed is education. But instead of saying, educate our kids, you have black Americans that are at the forefront saying, you know what? We shouldn't even have standardized tests. <laughs> but you standardized tests parent- are racist. And, and, but and you're parenting, literally- not education parenting, and yes. also We have to fix it. A, it's I like mean- it's, We have to stop feeling bad. Like black America has to fix black America. It may be
2: presumptuous, but I'm actually, I'm 10 years older than you. And in that short amount of time, the country really changed. I experienced a different upbringing in some ways than you did. I don't think that the black community has a responsibility uh, to better itself. I believe that all individuals have a responsibility to better themselves and that we as religious communities, which is a community you select into, Mm -hmm. or as regional communities like actual towns, uh, Uh, That's a community that we have opted into uh, geographically or our national community that we have an obligation to help one another as individuals step up. And I actually think this the idea that uh, the left talks a certain way to the black community. That's how they see the world. And we shouldn't grant them that premise. Uh, They 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 reduce us all down into these communities that we didn't opt into, these communities that are the result of of.
3: Some immutable gene- characteristics.
2: Yeah, exactly, immutable characteristics. And they want us to identify by that. You shouldn't look at the so-called black community and get weary because you shouldn't associate yourself with a community that you didn't opt yourself into. You're right. What, what we should do is go find individuals in, in uh, black American individuals, white American individuals, Hispanic American individuals. Those are the people we should build community with by opting into community with them, and we should help one another uh, make ourselves better, and we make ourselves better fundamentally by realizing that sin isn't something that's being visited upon us. Sin is something that is in us and that we carry around and that we have to by by religious mechanisms, by ethical mechanisms, by moral mechanisms uh, that we have to to rise above. I think the entire the entire idea that we that we are the color of our skin, the entire idea that we are uh, uh, any other immutable characteristic, and the entire idea that we are the product of forces. External to us that are impacting us. But those are the two worst lies Ooh, ever told in right. human history. And I had the, I grew up in the brief moment in the history of this country where we had essentially transcended the problem of race in America. Doesn't mean there were no individual racists. There were, of course. There always will be. We had transcended the, the problem of sort of uh, uh, national ra- you know, racism being at the fore,
3: racism being baked into the cake. Racism at that time. It's why there was a national celebration when Obama was elected. That's right. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's, it, because that, that was the attitude. I opposed Obama, but the, but I understood at least the sentiment where Americans said to each other, guys, I mean, like, a racist country doesn't elect a black president. That's yeah. not that's not what racist countries do. But we are a racist country now, post-Obama.
2: It was a non-racist country <laughs> yeah. that ascended Obama to the presidency. We are today a racist country, racist country. because even we, in some ways, have adopted the fundamental but, premises you know, of the I mean, left. We're have I to.
5: not, agree, you mean, not racist. Yeah, not a racist
0: country. A racially, racially defined country. That's yeah. correct. One thing you discount too, though, when you talk about the people is really just how bad our governing classes are. When you yeah. have a... You know, when, when we lost, for instance, local newspapers, now we have information controlled by the powerful. So we have the powerful doing bad things and, high, and lying about them. And then we have the powerful reporting on those things and lying about them. The people, you know, people talk about the madness of crowds, but I don't think crowds actually are mad because it's it's madness to think that you're being lied to every minute. You have to be insane to think you're being lied to every minute. Even if you are, and I think people are being lied to every single minute and the crowds believe them. It's, you know, it, what, what are they supposed to make? What is the average person, especially a poor person, especially somebody who doesn't have the kind of access to education yeah. and information that other people might have? And the what,
5: access they have, have is polluted. Right, what's, that's he right.
3: make? what's he to make of it when they keep telling you it's a racist The country. establishment media, Delenda Est, it's got to go. It's yes. got to go. I, 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 it's, 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 not just, it's, it's
5: all of it. That's why I, there's something much more nefarious happening. This isn't just because they want to live in a utopia, right? They're intentionally dumbing people down, intentionally inciting violence, right? They know they're not telling the full story. They know they're not telling the truth. They want these people to go out and ruin their own neighborhoods. I mean, this is six up that we're talking about. And to your point, you're correct. I said this when people kept saying to me, um, George Floyd, I mean, you don't see yourself. Why would I see myself in George Floyd? Why the hell? <laughs> when I see myself in George Floyd, what I have more in have common in with common a little with? Asian girl that goes home from school and does her homework at eight right. years old than I have in common with George Floyd. I, I don't see anything close what, to myself we really because we have similar melanin. I'm supposed to go, oh, you know what? George Floyd, yeah, he's my, he's pe- my people. He's my people.
4: <laughs> we got to we bear down, I think, on we're talking about the media. We're talking about governing classes. The issue of the family is not something we can, we can yes. skim over. No, you, no, you, right. look at, you look in the, in the black community, especially in the, in the, in the city. We all know the statistics 70% homeless, I mean, 70, 70% fatherless rate. Now, that's, we could just say that figure like it's just a figure, but that is apocalyptic. And when, if you want to know what a post nuclear family civilization looks like, it looks like the inner city, it looks like Chicago, it looks like Baltimore. Um, that's what it looks like. And when you don't have a family, I mean, look at what these kids, going back to the 13 year old kid, tragic case that was shot by the cop, even though that was a justified shooting. That's a 13 year old child at 3 a.m. Right. on a school night out with a loaded gun shooting at cars. The, the co- look, the cops. He'd been missing for two days. I believe. Yeah, lo- missing for two days. The co- the mother had not reported it. The most, re- the most recent time he went missing, the mother didn't bother reporting it. Now, the cops are custodians. They're janitors that are called in to clean up the, the, the mess that that is there in these communities. Um, it's not their fault the mess is there. The, the, the fault has to go back for that particular case. Where's the father? You know, we, we heard the mother come out and talk about what a, what a wonderful child her, her son was. And I don't blame mothers for saying that. What What mother wouldn't? But we didn't hear anything from the father, you know, and that's and that's another really common uh, thread that we see in all these cases. So, if if kids don't have, they're not being raised at home, yeah. especially as 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 boys, if they don't have a male role model in the home showing them how to take all that masculine energy and aggression and all that, all that's good stuff for for boys to have. But a, a father has to be there to to show you, okay, that's how you channel it. This is how you harness it. We don't want to suppress it. That's what the school system wants but to do. But that's also government
5: it. and media. So you're yep. saying the fam- that is government media. That's government policy. That's Lyndon Baines Johnson. That's but the right society. They're left act.
4: susceptible, right? And then that's the, the media family.
5: perpetuating an idea is- that we should look towards women who have men cheating on them, have multiple baby daddies, are now are, are now being called, you know, these are the women that you should be hailing as heroes because they're feminists. So it's 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 all so convoluted now that you can't even just say, you know, the the. the the idea that, you know, 74 uh, percent, I think it's 74 percent No, I think it's actually 78 percent, 74 percent of black children are growing up without a father in the home. That only happened because of government and media. Right. It's a joint well, effort.
3: And, and, and it is it is largely, you know, our governing class that is that is pushing this stuff because none of them abide by these rules. They all grew up in two family homes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Kamala Harris grew up in a two family, uh, a two parent family. Joe Biden grew up in a two parent family. Right. Like they all they all abide by. This is Charles Murray's point in uh, in coming apart. Right. Where he talks only about the white community. He said. All the people who are in sort of the elite ruling class abide by all the traditional rules of success. And then they preach to everybody else about how none of those traditional rules for success apply. Right. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the screen right now and I'm seeing that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to deliver an address <laughs> on the Chauvin verdict. Me- how in the? It's an individual criminal justice case. How in the world is the White House holding speeches on the basis of that as though this is indicative in any way, either way that it would have gone, on, on everybody in America, on the state of America more broadly, it's an individual case with individual circumstances in which, frankly, I think the jury did not look at the facts, particularly in the murder charges. And they're giving addresses from the White House about all of this because it is indeed about power. The left always says that, that everything is about power. But for the left, the reason they say that is because <laughs> it is about power. It is always yeah. about remember power. The Kermit, the Kermit guys, remember the
4: Kermit the Gosnell case? The Kermit Gosnell case, which was, which was actually a case that should have had national implications because you had the- Local crime the, story. The, yeah, the most, yeah, the most prolific story, yeah. mass murder in history- uh, was Kermit Gosnell, and the media ignored it completely. And the reason they gave was, it's a local crime local story. Local crime story. That, that actually was not a local crime story because of because of how it implicated government and all these other things. This really is a local crime
6: story. No, but that, I don't think that's fair, Matt. I think it actually makes perfect sense that Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden, for that matter, are going to address this case. Because they played a very active role in the case. Kamala <laughs> Harris bailed the rioters, the George Floyd rioters, out of prison. J- Joe Biden put his finger on the, on the uh, scales, scales of justice. Today, yep. there's no, I mean, there is, first of all, no way to suggest that, that, that the jury somehow was not yeah. aware of this.
3: There, there's something that's, that's going on that I've been thinking a lot about. And I, I have a book coming out in a couple of months where I really go into this in depth. Why is all of this happening now? Why? I mean, we were at the apex of race relations in this country circa about 2008, 2009. Mm. Like You can look at the polls, right? The polls, most Americans of all races were, were very optimistic about the future of race relations in the country. And then Barack Obama gets elected, and then things start to reverse. And they start to reverse, I think, in large measure because Barack Obama created, an, it, it, he, he participated in an active political genius. It, it was political alchemy. But it also happened to kind of wreck the country. And that was that before, if you look at, this is not the first time we've dealt with critical race theory and anti-racist you know, theory and all this. Th- this. This stuff came up in the 60s and 70s, right? And the, by 68, by Stokely Carmichael was talking about institutional racism. By the 70s, Richard Delgado was talking about critical race theory. So all of these theories were quite prominent in the, in the late 60s, 70s. By the 1980s, they were basically dead, right? No one was talking about them because they'd been tried and they completely failed. They destroyed the country and the country repudiated them with Reagan. And then they were further repudiated by Bill Clinton. Right? You remember that it was Joe Biden who was pushing the crime bill in 1994. That's it right. was Bill Clinton who was having a sister soldier moment in 1992, rejecting a lot of this stuff. Right? So what happened is that the governing class among Democrats, they were making the argument, we can cure all of your problems with the government. And a lot of the people who are critical race theorists were saying, yes, but the government is the problem. So there's a fundamental conflict there. Right, The governing class, which is the Democrats, are saying, we can fix your problems. The critical race theorists are saying, yes, but all the systems are racist. You can't right. fix our problems. Right. Barack Obama enters Office and what he basically says is, I am in my person the revolution from the inside, right? I am uh, yes. The system is the problem, and the system is. It, I'm not going to solve it via the system. I am the system. If you attack my policies, you are attacking me on the basis of race. And not only that, I'm going to activate a new racially based coalition that is going to be the new minority majority in the United States. I mean, they've they've openly talked about this. This yep. is not a conspiracy theory in any way. Barack Obama and the Democratic Party openly talked about how there was an ascendant coalition of the. Of, of the disaffected in the United States that was eventually going to take complete control of American politics. And the, the, there are articles in The Atlantic about this. Ronald Brownstein wrote a lot about this. Uh, and this was the idea of the future. This is why they were so angry when Trump won in 2016, because they thought they were going to win from here on out, right? They had a permanent coalition of people who were willing to overthrow the system by using the system. And that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing people who are using uh, an ideology that is fundamentally incompatible with the systems of the United States. That's, that's true. And they are using that ideology in government, in order to maximize the power of government right. and rewrite that's the nature of it. government. That
5: is it. Maximizing the power of government. That's what I see, and I see all of the traces. And speaking of where this idea came of systemic racism, institutional racism, it's a Marxist ideology. It actually yep. came to black America in the, 19, in the mid-1960s when black Americans started changing their names and saying, I'm going to take my slave name, and all of these things came from literal Marxist ideology came. I, it was actually, Shelby Steele writes about it in his book, White Guilt, to your credit, talking about this whole idea that racism is actually everywhere. It actually can never be fixed. It's, it's going to be everywhere. The idea is to just cripple America because it allow once the, the America becomes so focused on race, obsessed with race, it allows the government, the Kamala Harris and the Joe Biden to do whatever they want. Think about the sweeping reform that, that they they passed, critical race theory, all of these things, which basically guarantees to them that they're going to have kids that are dumber and dumber, that are, by the way, getting more degrees ever before we actually have the dumbest kids that have ever graduated i'm not saying that as a joke standardized oh, it's it's tests reveal true. these are the dumbest kids that have, that have ever graduated and yet we are giving out more degrees than we've ever given out they're dumbest, not getting smarter yeah yeah, the, right. yeah dumbest yeah. but most educated so what is the point of handing out these meaningless degrees well because you just want these kids to feel good they want them to feel like they know so much that they're convinced that they are so woke you know the woketopia they know well, everything well, it, i have though, six degrees in latinx studies Right. I have, I have a degree in Latinx studies. I've got a degree in gender studies. I can't get a job. But that's weird that I can't actual. get a job. So now I'm an angry activist. I'm an angry activist. And the government is going to tell you what you should be angry at. Some idea, some Marxist idea, like cultural, you know, like racism is everywhere, institutional racism. And then they become the perfect permanent government act- activists that can go out and riot every day because they don't have a goddamn but, job. But
6: that is the point, is that it actually we say that the gender studies degree, it doesn't matter. It doesn't con- connote any meaning. It does. It is a real credential that you are now approved by the regime, by the liberal establishment. You are part of this new. You're part of the clergy. Yeah. You're part of the clergy. You're part of the state church. Well, you, of you speak
3: the vocabulary, right? And and, and, the, and the way that you know, by the way that people speak the vocabulary, is now we actually put it in our Twitter profiles, right? That's what that's what right. the pronoun debate is about, right? The pronoun debate is not about a tiny percentage of the population and what pronoun they wish to be called. It's about whether you speak the vocabulary to the extent that you're willing to put your pronouns oh, yeah. it's in your little, Twitter bio. It's a little fish on
2: the back of your car and it's the, it's, rack, it's, it's, it's the right.
3: lamb's
4: blood on
2: the door <laughs>
4: you know, so that the angel of cancellation passes over you, that's right. uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think race race is just way too useful to whatever everyone's saying here I mean race is, is way too useful a tool and for, for corrupt politicians to forego using yep. I mean I, I, I always bring up what I think is one of, the, one of the most profound things that's been said about race in recent times was by uh, Morgan Freeman in a 60 Minutes interview about 20 years ago and he was asked, uh, what should we do about racism? And his answer was, stop talking about it. Yeah. And that, that is the answer. If you, want, if you really want to solve racism, to the extent that it can be solved, and it really can't be totally solved, of course, because we can't live in a real utopia, but to the extent that it can be solved, just, just you let people live their lives, especially kids. You let, I can remember anyone who grew up in the 90s. I can remember growing up in the 90s, uh, it, and you, know, you I had kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, a lot of Asian kids in my class. You didn't really think about it. I mean, you noticed. You noticed that they were, you know, different uh, hues, skin yeah. skin color from you. You, but it wasn't, you might it wasn't even make a, big a joke deal. about it. God right, forbid. Right. You, yeah. you joke. The fact that you could joke about it shows right. that, that it wasn't a big deal. But and you you went about your life. The adults have to come in and tell the kids, no, no, no. Wait a second. This is really significant. The fact that that person looks different from you that should matter to you a lot. Yeah.
3: Sesame Street is now rethinking it, right? right? Sesame yeah. Street Sesame is now Street. teaching kids that you have to think in racial essentialist terms. <laughs> that a deep fact about you is the nature of your race, like, which why, is precisely... Why didn't, we, why
0: didn't we think of this before, you know? Why didn't we think of racism <laughs> before, you know? This is such a good idea. Well, it works so
3: well. You, you see how this played for... If you want to see how the, how the deal with the devil was made by, by the Democrats, I mean the devil of racism, because the Democratic Party is the racist party. Their anti-racism oh, no is pure racism. Yeah. It is just racism. Yeah. It is thinking of is thinking of people simply in terms of immutable characteristic and then essentializing the immutable characteristic, the, which is the definition of racism, traditionally, until they... Decided to rig the definitions. But what, what, what they've decided to do, it, Bernie Sanders is the perfect example of this. So you remember in 2016, Bernie runs and he gets all sorts of plaudits from sort of the far left wing. But there's one push against him from the left that's really effective. And that is, you know, he keeps saying that if we just go to the socialist utopia and everybody has an equal outcome on an individual level, he, he's not really seeing the racial complexity of America. Remember, he was accused of being racist. You remember, right. he was yeah. too white. The Bernie bros were too white. And Bernie's socialism was too white. It was not racially conscious enough. And so Bernie consciously started adopting some of the language uh, of race, which cuts directly against the language of traditional Marxism, right, which is a class-based ideology. Now you have a race-based ideology. Two original sense. Right. And so, and, and theoretically in conflict. So basically, I think what has happened here is that the language of racial radicalism, which has more of a basis in American history. Than the language of class. That, that, that was oh, always clearly. Show. We didn't and, really
0: have cl- a class. Right. Exactly. You so th- move this, within. This the class. is why
3: class warfare in the United States historically has not been tremendously right. successful. Right. But but if you go to race, there is an actual terrible history with race in the United States. So if you can take that and you can cram that into all the same socialistic prescriptions, you're already giving. That's right. This is what exactly and this is what Joe right. Biden is doing. Right. Joe Biden is saying, you know how we solve racism? We solve racism with infrastructure. <laughs> right. This is how you have Pete Buttigieg, the whitest person who has yet walked the earth. <laughs> right. <laughs> walking around talking about how the way that you solve racism in America is by building new highways under the tutelage of his road-building program. No,
0: highways are racist, he said. Right, he said (laughs) said highways
3: are racist. Other (laughs) other Anglo-Saxon architecture. Listen, (laughs) the the
2: president of the United States has reached out directly to George Floyd's family. Uh, He has said, nothing is going to make it all better, but at least, God, now
3: there is some justice. George Floyd uh,
5: had no family. He had had no relationship with his family at the time that he was alive, but I'm glad his family's being reached out.
3: (laughs) I'm also... You know what's amazing about this? It really is truly amazing. So Don Lemon said immediately, "The justice has been justice done." Justice is served, and you and you know for a damned fact that if any other verdict had come down, you would never have said that. You're trending course. right now, by the way, because you said that. Because I'm oh really? Am I trending? You're trending. For that? trending Good. I hope because, I'm trending for that. And
6: this is what they're saying. They're saying, "Well." Ben, of course, because that would have been the wrong verdict. That would have been ah, unjust.
3: That's you how said. this works. That's justice justice, is, only is. You way, yeah. justice yeah. is only when you get your way. I understand. Justice is only when you get your way. I've acknowledged that there might have been a process here whereby a jury could have reached a guilty verdict yeah. on the murder charges. But in the absence of, but as as Matt was saying earlier, with the amount of outside pressure that was being brought to bear. Yeah. On on the jury, it is very difficult to imagine that played no role in the way that they went about the decision.
6: Does anybody really believe, no matter what you think of George Floyd or Derek Chauvin or whoever, does anybody really think that what just happened was justice? No, not not a single person. Don, Don Lemon doesn't think it. Nobody thinks it. They think that their interest group, their political interest group, exercised their will strongly enough for mm-hmm. enough well, because he's missing, It's he's racial, a it's he's racial a justice. Correct. He's
3: it's, missing He's missing a modifier. When he yeah. says justice has been done, he racial means social justice. and or racial justice has been done.
5: He means the media won. We're, we're so powerful that we created this narrative. It ended up all being false. It was not on his neck. You know what I mean? He was not thrown onto the ground. He asked to be put onto the ground. It, we, but we created the narrative and we won. That is, what, that is what he means when he says justice has been done. It means we
3: won. Well, this is why they also, this is why the media always picks cases and focuses in on cases Of controversy, right? You you notice that there was never any sort of this talk about, for example, the murder of Walter Scott in South Carolina, right? The black man who was shot in the back by a police officer who then planted a gun near his body. That guy was convicted of first-degree murder, and he's now spending time in jail. And you know what? No one said a word about it because it was perfectly (laughs) obvious that it was a case of blatant out-and-out murder, right? In this case, because there were conflicting fact patterns, because there was a lot of doubt, very reasonable doubt as to the cause of death, Because if you take three times the deadly dose of fentanyl and have 75 percent arterial blockage, perhaps that might contribute to your cause of death. How dare you? And and if you do all of that and you get very exercised in the process of, you know, being in the car with your drug dealer when the police show up to arrest you (laughs) and all of this. And by the way, quick note on just the evidence. The prosecution did not offer immunity to a key witness in the case, namely the drug dealer sitting next to George Floyd, who had been dealing him the drugs, which should tell you something about where the prosecution's head was in this particular case. But if you but. The, the basic idea is that the media picks conflicting fact patterns specifically so that if you mention the conflicting fact patterns, they then suggest that you're a racist who's not in favor of justice. Right. That's right. This is their goal. They only want controversial cases. They only want the Michael Brown case. That's really They good don't point. want the Walter Scott the, case. The, the, uh, I think they don't even want the Ahmed Arbery case, right? Because the Ahmed Arbery case, pretty much everybody was like, yeah, even if the guy was walking around trespassing and he wasn't jogging, still, you don't get to stop a guy in the middle right. of the street and confront him with guns and tell him to stop, right? Like right. most people were and, and then when the N word testimony came out in that particular case like okay sounds like that's a racist problem right when everybody agrees the media has nothing to stump for the media can't divide us the media needs to divide so that they can run roughshod over just, their enemies just
4: just adding to your point another example is the um i can't i think her name is Althea Bernstein. Uh, a a woman black woman was shot in her home by a police officer shot right. dead she was, she was actually sitting there playing video games with her with her with her nephew or something and it was and and uh but that even that case, like you, you think, well, if you're if you're going to select a racial martyr and there's no evidence at all that this that that shooting was racially motivated at all, the police, the police officer just did a horrible thing, made a horrible mistake. Um, but if you're going to select a racial martyr, why not her? I mean, if, if it has to be someone killed by the police, why not her? But right. It has to be it has to be there has to be the controversy element you can to name it.
3: half a dozen cases where the where the fact pattern is relatively uncontroversial and everybody agrees. And that never becomes an issue because they don't yeah. want because they don't want us to agree about these things. They don't want us to actually look at the fact patterns of the case in which we can actually use our brains and recognize that Jacob Blake is not the same as not the Walter right. Scott case or we can recognize that this case is significantly more controversial in 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 its actual fact pattern yeah. than that case that happened down in Dallas where there was the the man who was in his own apartment building, he was in his own apartment and the what you remember the white female cop, she went back to her apartment and she mistook her apartment for his apartment, walked in and shot him. And now she's going to jail. And everybody's like, well, that looks like a horrible mistake and a tragedy. And she should probably go to jail for that. When there's no controversy, they have no way to <laughs> use right. it as a leverage point in order to run roughshod over their opponents.
2: So opponent. we have a question from one of our Daily Wire uh, subscribers. And it, it seems like a strange day to in any way self-promote. But I do think, Ben, you made the point earlier. The media cannot be reformed. They mu- the, the establishment media must be raised to the ground. And you need to support with your dollars the replacement media. That's not just us, but it includes us. And hear from one of our subscribers who's done just that. Do you think that the verdict here gives us a good idea of what the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict will be, Candace?
5: Oh, I mean, yes, I think it does. And that's why I, that was what was really hinging on this case for me. Is, is it going to be mob rule? You know, and, and right now it looks like in this country that's the way it's going. But the media now has the power to decide who is guilty and who is innocent based on their coverage of, of a case. And that's exactly what happened here. And I think, yes, sadly, yes.
2: Here's Barack Obama. Cheering the decision, but adds "But if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that true justice huh. is about much more than a single <laughs> verdict.
6: There it, there it is. There is the, the perpetual revolution. You, you saw some people on MSNBC were parroting almost that exact line. Not that this was injustice because it was the president of the United
3: States putting his thumb on the scales. No, it was injustice because it could never be enough. Well, this is what Jason Johnson said. This is a direct quote from MSNBC's Jason Johnson. I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sense of satisfaction. I don't think this is the system working. This is the justice system trying to say, hey, this is one bad apple. So, I mean, talk about a non-falsifiable thesis. Yep. So if you convict him, all you're trying to do is just throw away the bad apple. But if you don't convict him, it's because America's racist. I mean, this is just like pure Kafka <laughs> trap, was right? It was
4: hoping
6: the jury would come down and convict every cop in America of the murder. That's right. <laughs> well, because, by the way, this was not about Derek Chauvin, and this was not about George Floyd. And this was not about what happened when a guy's knee was on a neck or the neck area or the back or whatever, this was a referendum on all, on the larger truth about all racial issues in America. That's what it came down to. And that's what the jurors had to, had to rule on. And frankly, if, when they are considering the threats that they would face, when they're considering the threats to their lives, their families' lives, I don't, I don't think they made the right decision. I don't think the evidence was there for the murder charge. But if we were in their shoes, I like to think we'd have the courage to stand up to the mob. But that's a scary thing. I would I would not have allowed, like, yeah, we, we were
4: hoping for superhuman courage from yes. this jury. because yeah. That's yeah. what we require. Superhuman restraint, number one, to when they're not sequestered, to refrain from watching the news. Yeah. Um, and then also superhuman courage to say to yourself, I am going to I am doing this, like you said, for the sake of the republic, for the sake of justice. And if that means my life is ruined, I'm going to accept that. It, and it, the idea that twelve people altogether, even just one person would say that, but twelve people altogether would would have that kind of courage is is, is hard to believe. I mean, I, for me, if that if I were, I, I think I could say right now, I wouldn't be in that boat because I wouldn't have allowed myself to get on the jury. Right. I would have said whatever I had to say to not be on it, <laughs> because I, I, because I, I, you know I have to think. Well, I got kids at home. I have yeah. a wife. Do I want to? Put them at 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 risk. Here. The, so the way
3: that the, the fact that we even have to make those considerations demonstrates how per, how perverse the system is at this
2: point.
4: That's right. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, yeah. none of that says anything about the individual circumstances for the person who's actually on trial, right? All of the if the story here is about the jury, or if the story here is about the Congress people outside, or if the story here is about the media, or if the story here is about anything except for the person who is on trial, then it ain't due process, right? It's due process in name only at that point, right? You he, he went through the process and a verdict came down and you respect the fact that he received legal due process and there will be appeals and he will get due process of law that way. But to suggest that the trial was the height of fairness in the midst of an environment where people are literally threatening to burn down the city in which you reside and bo- businesses are boarding up in preparation. Congressmen
0: are threatening to- <laughs> Congress people are
3: threatening yeah. this. And right. it's not an idle threat. Last year, they burned down the city. Right. Yep. Right. Well, and, and so you're in that same city. You're a resident of that same <laughs> city. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I don't know how you would expect this to go any, Listen. Any we other way, we really. can talk I mean. about
2: appeals. I think we're in such a bad place as a country. I can no longer say that I uh, have faith that a jury, especially this jury, was capable of coming uh, to a just conclusion. I'm, we're also at a point in this society where I can no longer say with confidence that Derek Chauvin will ever face uh, trial again. I'm not sure that they will allow this guy uh, yeah. to ever face uh, to, to ever have the opportunity to have this thrown out. He may may be walking into his death. I mean, this guy, the most hated man in America, a guy who, again, ubiquitous, that video in the weeks and months following uh, the event, broadly hated, broadly viewed as a murderer by all Americans. I think, fair to say, when I first saw the video, my own reaction to it was like, yeah, 100%, absolutely terrible. Only in the months after, when you get more and more information, do you realize, oh, yeah, this is why you cannot rush to judgment. You can't even believe your own eyes
0: yeah, in right. these situations. What, what do you think the Republicans do now? I mean, I, mean, I will say,
3: I, I don't think they're going to just let him die in prison. Like, I don't think they're going to put him in with the general population and let him get killed. I'll just put that out there. You don't but, think so? No, I don't. No, I think they, they recognize I
0: think he actually has, has a chance on appeal, depending on who his uh, judge is.
3: I, I will say, by, by the way, the judge in this case, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the judge yeah. made some decisions along the way in this case that mm-hmm. I find very questionable mm. i mean they're, they're seri- like if the, if the appellate court is serious which who the hell knows yeah. uh, they, number one change of venue was obviously called for like this is the most yeah. obvious change of venue case <laughs> right. ever yeah. like yeah. literally ever yeah. and oh, then beyond where do you that, put it you put it in any, a, any <laughs> literally any take a pin and throw it in a map right yeah. i mean like it would at least much, be marginally better right than, exactly exactly yeah, right, the, right. there was that there was the the entire first week of testimony is not probative in any way, right? The the rule number one in Evidence 101 is that evidence that is presented in court has to have some value as to the truth or falsity of the proposition at issue, right? It has to to be probative in some way. Is it proving the case against Chauvin or is it not proving the case against Chauvin? The entire first week of testimony was witnesses to the event talking about how they couldn't sleep, how upset they were, how difficult this was. I mean, that is textbook prejudicial testimony. That is textbook stuff. A, n- a normal judge would have said, I'm sorry, this, this has nothing, it's irrelevant, it's prejudicial, you can't, you can't allow that sort of stuff. A, a judge would have thrown out the third-degree murder charge, which, again, didn't apply. They convicted him on third-degree murder, which patently, by the text of the statute, does not apply. Like, it, re- like, it, was, it was so controversial that originally it was thrown out, it right? Originally out. it was thrown out, and the appellate yeah. court said put it back, and then he had the ability to not put it back, and he's like, okay, fine, I'll mm-hmm. go along with the appellate court. This judge, I think, routinely took the path of least resistance here, which is why when he was asked about the Maxine Waters thing, he didn't say, okay, mistrial, because then he would have taken the flack. Instead, he said, there might be a solid case for mistrial for the <laughs> appellate judge. So you know what, he lost you? That it, was a sh-
2: it was a show
6: trial. It, this reminded me, uh, Bush, Bush actually, Pre- George W. Bush did this with McCain-Feingold, where he said, look, this might not be constitutional, but I'll let the courts settle that. And he signed the law. He's supposed to defend the constitution too, but he said, I don't, I don't want to take the flack, so I'll <laughs> let the courts do it. That to me is what this judge did. He said, you know... An appeals court might think this is yeah. due for a mistrial, but uh, you know, for me, there's no way they heard what this congressman said. One of the most famous politicians in America. There's no way they're going to hear what the president says tomorrow. Let the appeals court deal with it. Yeah. Kicking yeah. the can down there is such a dereliction of duty.
4: And, and, but no, no appellate judge is going to. No. Way. And somewhere along the line, this, that we're also facing a crisis of cowardice. There's, there's very little courage yeah. in this country. There's very little courage, especially on our institutions. And you just you need some people with some courage or willing to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. Even if you stand to gain nothing from it. Yeah. And uh, we, we just we don't have leaders like that. That's, no. that we need a national happening. day of now. But
0: well, this is what I want to yeah. know. I want to know what the Republicans do now. Where where do they stand? And does anybody stand up and say, you know, whether this guy was guilty or not, this has been an absolute abuse by our governing classes. Does anybody on the uh, right have the...
4: There might be like three guys on the, the right, uh, you uh, know, Republicans that might have the courage to do that. Because,
0: I, you know, I, 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 I love Ted Cruz, but I had him on the show, and he, he cannot say that Black Lives Matter is, is a criminal terrorist organization. He can't get the words out of his mouth he said, Black Lives Matter. Because they're it, scared. What's that? That's
5: what they, they have successfully bullied white people into being fearful of telling the truth I about mean, black people, even and, if it's the truth.
0: And to actually, Just don't say and to actually, You can't say You can't
5: criticize a black person. Yeah, that, is, that was the point of the Black right, Lives Matter right. movement. You yeah. no longer are allowed to criticize a black person, even when they are deserving of criticism in this country. Well, they did that with no Otherwise, violence, you, know, you are you, accused if you, if you, of being a racist. Yeah. That's simple.
4: The, the, the name Black Lives Matter is the, probably the most brilliant branding great, decision ever hard, in history. Yeah. Uh, or at least in modern American history, because this this is a, an organization, a group that has their their stated goals, at least for years before they took it down from their website, had almost nothing to do with racial issues. It was, it was a lot of LGBT stuff. Trans
5: and, agenda. Yeah, L- trans
4: G- destroy, G- you know, the, <laughs> the, the heteronormative thinking and the, the nuclear family. And uh, but they just tack Black Lives Matter on there. And even Republicans, even now, it, it, it almost amazes me that well. re, even the Republicans, even at this point. Are still afraid to well, simply say be a What Democrats
3: understand that Republicans really don't is the power of semantic overload. So semantic yep. overload is where you take a term that is that can is capable of being defined in several different ways, and then you throw it out there. And then if somebody attacks how you're using it, you say no, no, no. no. The definition I meant is the one that's completely uncontroversial. You're right. And so Black Lives Matter is the best example of this because Black Lives Matter actually means three distinct things, right? It means the actual concept, which is that black people's lives matter, which is perfectly inarguable, right? right? Then it means the actual group Black Lives Matter, which is a garbage organization. And then it means the idea that America's systemically racist and all of your neighbors believe that black lives don't matter. Yeah. Right. So two of the three definitions are really bad. And so when you attack either of those, when you say like Black Lives Matter is a bad group, they go, Well, are you saying that black lives don't matter? <laughs> yeah. Right? This is this is always the game. They, they're doing the same thing for the for the For the People Act or or the Equality Act. They do right. this, they do this crap all the time. It's Joe Biden this week declaring that illegal aliens are no longer illegal aliens, now they're just non-citizens. Right. If we just if we just change the terminology, then magically all the problems go away. All the kids who are pooping in bags on the border right now are perfect. They're so much happier now that they're being called (laughs) non-citizens as opposed to illegal aliens while being kept in their cages. But the point is not for those kids, obviously, just like the point of Black Lives Matter is really not to save black lives, because when you remove cops from high crime areas, more black people die. Because When you remove cops from white areas where there's high crime, more white people die. When you remove cops, more criminals do what they want to do. The, the point is not that. The point is to use language as a club to wield yep. against your political enemies. The left is phenomenal at this. Yep. And the white has, and the right has, has no real facility with, with parsing this stuff and debunking this stuff. Instead, they fall into the trap of either not being specific enough in their language and, and condemning it, what it is they're condemning and thus being hit with the hit with the the comeback so, someone should write a book about
6: that i was thinking about that i <laughs> might you know i would it would pain me to plug my book but this is the topic of my book speechless controlling words controlling minds that the left uses language to if you redefine all the terms you can redefine reality uh, this is we've we've only noticed this really since the late 80s i think that's when people got focused on pc and they said oh this political correctness is kind of weird it had been building of course for many decades before that the people who are behind it were explicit about it. This is going back to the 1920s. By the way, really brilliant theorists, really brilliant leftist thinkers who had very evil intentions. But I, I actually think they understand free speech very well. I think they understand censorship very well. I think they understand politics very well and have been very successful at it. So they they do that sort of thing. And they convince the, the right, basically, to either go along with their plans and use all their terms, or to kind of throw our hands up and say, Oh, we I don't please don't. Please don't make me engage in this. And it gets to what we were talking about earlier. Courage is a virtue. I know we're told now it's toxic and masculine or whatever. Courage is a virtue. Courage is the prerequisite for all of the other virtues. If you don't have courage, it doesn't matter what ideas maybe you kind of have in your mind. If you're not willing to actually effect them in the politics than that and that, in a buck 50 I'll get you a cup of coffee.
4: Every every virtue, courage is every virtue at its testing point. I think was C.S. Lewis's phrase.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I think the terrible thing now is they've put us in a position. You used to be able to say to people, you know, keep your head down, don't don't you know, get the good grades and all this stuff. You can't. Every moment, every moment, it requires ordinary people to be heroes now. Because if you can't go into your boss and say, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. Tell me that a white person, that I'm bad because I'm a white person. If you can't say to your professor, you know, what you're saying actually isn't true. They'll just keep on, and they will. They'll spread. I mean, it's well, they, not, they, they moved.
3: They moved the bar really, really quickly. They moved. They kept moving yeah. the goalposts. They went from, they they went from be polite, right? They just be polite. Just be nice. Yeah. So. Don't get too confrontational. Just be polite. They move from that to speech uh, to speech is violence. And then right. they move from speech is violence to silence is violence. Yeah. <laughs> right? So silence is violence. The only thing that's not
0: violence is left is violence. Right.
3: And violence isn't violence. <laughs> yeah. right? Burning down a store is not violence. Yeah, no. That's from speech. Nicole Hannah-Jones. It's Most, totally it's not violence. No. Silence is violence. You doing nothing is violence. <laughs> yeah. Home Depot refusing to comment on Georgia's voter law is a form of violence. And now we need to launch a boycott against Home Depot for the great crime of not speaking yeah. about Georgia's voter law. Yeah. Right? And, and so we're quickly reaching the point in some ways frankly i like there's a there's a part of me that feels like it's kind of good for the country that the left is forcing it to this point because if people are forced to the point where they either have to surrender or have courage and there's no third choice then people are going to be forced to choose whether yep. to surrender or to have courage yeah. because until now there has been a, a, the possibility of you just as you say keep your head down try to live your life go about your business but the left isn't going to leave it at that they are just what's, not what's leave the it
4: consequence at that. i mean the problem is what is the consequence to your life in a practical sense if you simply surrender and say, "Fine, whatever, I'll go along with whatever you're saying"? I think for a lot of people, they figure, "Well, it doesn't really affect my life much. I've given up my my soul, I've given up my <laughs> dignity, um, I've given up my integrity, but I can give up all those." That's the great thing about living in modern society—you can Everybody give up all of that, that, and yeah, and you can live um, you can live a pretty comfortable life. So, I think. Yeah, it's good that the, that the testing point comes, but at the same time, I think most people are going to say, "Well, I'll just surrender."
0: But Theodore Dalrymple makes the point that in the Soviet Union, w- once you grasp the lie, once you I- agree that you can tell that lie, they've got you. You're you're emasculated. You're done because you know what 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 follows is the next lie, and the next lie is a little easier, and the lie after that is a little easier, and finally, they're telling you what to think, what to say, what to do. You're gone. You know, and I think that that, that lying. You know, I I know it sounds dumb, but lying is the first sin. You know, once you start to do tell that lie, to agree with the lie, that's when your soul disappears. So
2: I want to listen in on the president of the yeah. United States. Speaking, speaking of lying to the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of lying, speaking yeah. to the family of George Floyd. Find the
1: defendant guilty. Come on, man. Yeah. Come on! Come on! feeling better now.
0: and Nothing is going to make it all better, but at least God, now there's some
4: justice. And, right. here. and you know, I think a, I, think a John is coming. My dad is going to change the world. He's going to start to change it now.
1: That's right. Yes. yes. Amen. Yeah. to start to change it now. Yes. So, you've been incredible. You're an incredible <laughs> thing. I wish I were there just with my arms around you. I'm standing here. Cedric, we've been talking, we've
0: been watching every second of this, and the vice
1: president, all of us, and I'm uh, um, just—we're all so relieved, not just one all three, guilty on all three counts.
2: Wow, the president celebrating uh, guilty on all three counts, even celebrating uh, the third-degree
0: murder charge, which—and he's—he's relieved. A he's relieved. I'll bet he's relieved. So what you
4: just heard there, by the way, is more. Tasteless, outrageous, offensive, beneath the dignity of the office, et cetera, et cetera, than anything Trump ever said. Yeah. you just what you just heard just in that in that audio right there um, is. Uh, but, of course, you know, we were, we were worried about the, the tweets from Trump. Many of them I didn't like either. But what you, you take just Joe Biden's behavior in the last two days with respect to this trial. Far worse, I think. Man, I I do not miss Senator
5: Joe Biden, who was just so against black Americans and criminality. Senator Joe Biden, the author of the Three Strikes Bill. It's nice that he's relieved now as the president. (laughs) You know, did you miss (laughs) Vice President Joe Biden? I mean, it's just incredible. Vice President Joe Biden, more black men locked up under, under that presidency. I mean, you really have to appreciate how Joe Biden has managed to transform himself as a hero and a concerned individual, when it comes, to you know black how he people.
6: did it. You know how he figured he, he licked his
3: index finger, he yeah. put it
6: up in the air <laughs> yeah. in the morning, and he figured out which way <laughs> the wind was,
3: was blowing. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, he, yeah. it's just weekend and Bernie's with him. I mean, they're just they're rolling him around on a gurney, yeah. and basically, as long as they can prop him up upright for long enough, then he can be whatever they want him well, to the, you he know, can be. You know, they a racial be. justice warrior. Or he can be, you know, a, a hard hard on rioters, hard on looters guy. But, whatever, he, whatever he has to be that day, because obviously, inanimate objects can be whatever you want them to be. Well,
5: at least you can say he's been consistent on the point that he was against the desegregation efforts, and you can almost argue now that he is once again for God. segregation in <laughs> yeah. America, so I like him on his it, it, consistency. Also,
4: you know, he, he says to George Floyd, they're, they're incredible, great family. He did the same thing with Jacob Blake. He went and said, great, 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 wonderful family. You know, I, I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, if you, you've got, this is a family member with Jacob Blake breaking into a woman's home, raping her, allegedly. George Floyd, the horrible things he did. I, you know, I I, I don't... The, the celebration of the men is a problem. Um, the statement that their families are wonderful. Maybe they are, but there, there's a lack of evidence there, too, in my mind.
3: What, what is amazing is the double standard. Meaning, like, if you say, okay, well, you know, I could see theoretically how a jury could reach this verdict, but I think they probably reached the wrong verdict. It's, how dare you? How dare you? Justice was done. Well, if the jury had reached the opposite verdict, obviously, which right. is, then, then it would have been... No, no, I, I disagree with this verdict. Justice has not been done. <laughs> yeah, right. like, okay. Well, that, that's not the way any of this works out. But this is a, but this, this is true.
0: This was obviously true before the verdict came down. This was, you know, if you were on Twitter, that people were just screaming. How could you possibly? How could you possibly want any other verdict?
3: I mean, the, this is the way the media were covering it. They were they were yeah. covering every single day as though the prosecution was nailing down. They, cover, every they covered the trial point, like that, this right? Day. And they, and, they were, and the defense had nothing, yeah. nothing going for it. I mean one of the, one of the prosecution witnesses was a doctor who literally claimed that he could perform medical alchemy. He could he could sit there and he could watch a tape of a person dying and determine cause of death by watching a third party video yeah. of a person's breath and measuring their oxygen intake by watching how they breathe. I mean I've never heard of anything remotely like that. It's an incredible feat of medical <laughs> leisure domain yeah. to, to be able to do that. I mean, I, I asked my wife if, if she'd ever heard of anything like that because she is, in fact, a doctor. <laughs> and she was like, uh, I mean, maybe, but I've never heard anything remotely like that. I'd never seen anything like that. I asked one of the trial watchers if they'd ever seen anything like that on the stand because what this person argued is you could just see you, you could see when, when he died, you could see everything happening in real time. You could see the, And you could see, based on that, that it was not a drug overdose and not a heart problem. Right, right. Like, right. That's an incredible skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. He never had access to the body. He never did the medical autopsy. The autopsy guy said precisely the opposite. The medical examiner said precisely the opposite. But you had a guy who watched at Haven. So he, and, but, but the media treated this guy's testimony was bulletproof. It, it, again, they were, they were aiming for a verdict. They got the verdict. So to, to them, I suppose, congratulations. Is in order?
2: No, no, no. You um, can't congratulate but, them because, as uh, AOC says, this is not justice because justice is George Floyd going home tonight to be with his family.
0: Yeah, that would be kind of messy. Well, that would,
5: he that didn't w- have any family that was in his life, but I guess, yeah, sure, justice would be. Just so, so, but, w- but, but
3: that, that does say something, right? They, they literally want the impossible. Right, they, they, want, they want the impossible. Justice is when the impossible becomes the possible. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that a brilliant dream? It's just a, it's such a beautiful dream. When the impossible becomes the possible, right. then justice will have been done, which means revolution until the end of time, obviously. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Says
2: uh, Mayor Jacob Fry, George Floyd came to Minneapolis to better his life, but ultimately his life will have bettered our city. The jury joined in a shared conviction that has animated Minneapolis for the last 11 months. For the last 11 months. They <laughs> refused to look away and affirmed he should still be here today. I have a question. How, how does fentanyl better?
5: better your life? Yeah. Quick.
3: Anybody.
2: Well, passing counterfeit bills. How does that better your
5: life? How does it better or your life? Uh, for, or break into
3: woman's house and Forget that part. How has he bettered the city of Minneapolis? Right. Yeah. The rate of murder in Minneapolis is up 30% over the course of the yeah. last year. He didn't better any of those people's lives. Those people yeah. are dead. Yeah. They're just as plus dead plus as, as in what is. in rubble. Half the in
0: rubble. is in rubble.
3: It's just I mean, It's, it's, it's,
5: it's, it's actually d- disgusting. I can't, cannot, just, it bothers me. So much. It's, it's, it's just disgusting.
3: disgusting. They're making, they're making the world better one destroyed police force and increased murder rate at a time. We're choosing to live in fiction. This is, this is just fiction, yep. right? Yep. We're now living in fiction. I asked on my show, like, can you name a thing that's gotten better in the United States on the racial front since BLM? Just one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not asking for like 10. Like one yeah. would be great. But it doesn't exist.
5: Critical race but, theory, they'd say, right?
3: Critical, yeah. And more more white people are aware of their, of their yeah. issues.
2: I think that... Um, You just made a point, Ben, I think it's an important one, which is that uh, uh, the left is creating what the preferred outcome can be, and that's the only outcome they'll allow, and they only serve facts that support that outcome. You've seen it all throughout COVID, too, right? There's a reason that people who are fully vaccinated still wear masks outside in the sun alone, and it's because when you use the entire power, the entire apparatus of all of our institutions, of the government of the media, yeah. to promulgate a lie. Yes. It is almost It is almost impossible not to believe it. Yeah, that's true. Right. And that's what we're seeing. And, and Candace, you know, no one is being given this lie more than black Americans. They're lied to 100% of the time. What do we do about it?
5: Yeah, but unfortunately, it's going to have to be, like you said earlier, it's going to have to be individual decisions. You know, you, you have the discussions. It's going to take courage, you know, to your, to your credit. People have to just start telling the truth. You know, have to start acknowledging that this is degeneracy, right? To stop pretending that we're not honoring degeneracy. That is, that is, the, new, that is the new threshold to become celebrated as a black American in this country. You have to be degenerate. That's the truth. If you're degenerate, you could be honored. If, if you're not degenerate and, you and, you, and you call up the truth and you do things that are honorable, it's, it's the exact opposite. I can't think of a black person that is celebrated in black America that does not partake in some form of like it does not back degenerate causes. You know what I'm saying? Like even LeBron James, incredible athlete. He should be honored for his athletic ability. All these things he, he gets and he says, black people can't even walk down the street. You know, can't even walk down the street. We can't even walk down the street without yep. having to face
6: white hunted people. Down.
5: Hunted We're being hunted down by white people. Where, he lives in a 100 million dollar mansion in Bel Air. If that is what he is saying as someone that has made it in this country and can afford to live in a 100 million dollar mansion in Bel Air constructed for him, what about what are the rest of black americans going to think when that message right. is being sent down the pipeline? The only way it's ever going to be fixed is if there is a radical shift not radical i should say actually the exact opposite <laughs> uh, if there is a, a major shift in the education institutions uh, that, that's my personal But, but do, you,
6: do you see the brilliance because six of six
5: hours a day yeah. they have your kid do you get what I'm, six yeah, yeah, hours yeah, yeah, yeah. a day doesn't matter what you could be the best parent in the entire world do you know how hard it is to to fight against six hours a day of programming that is happening while you're at work
6: but this is the brilliance of it right that the the solution actually perpetuates the problem right. so with the with the masks everyone's wearing the masks. Half, the, half of the country has vaccines, but we still have to triple and quadruple masks, don't we? We were told the reason for the masks is it will reduce anxiety, that we will all feel so much better, we'll get back to normal. <laughs> what happened? Exactly the opposite. BLM, we were told if we all endorse BLM, we all support BLM, that will improve race relations in the country. We're taking the problem seriously. Has it done that? No, of course. It's just exacerbated that problem. The, the, uh, what we are being told is the solution is the problem here, folks. And, and you, the same could be said of education. We're to, we just need more education. The more education students seem to get, the more they hate their country and the less they know. There was a study came out from ISI. Uh, this was now a while ago. It was about 14 years ago. Can you imagine how bad it is now? It was of elite universities, graduating seniors, incoming freshmen. It was just a survey of civics, history, and government knowledge. The graduating seniors knew less than the incoming freshmen. They got more ignorant as they went.
5: Right. No, and, and that's truth. That that is the real pandemic in America. It's ignorance. Like that. That is that. That is the true pandemic. It's ignorance. It's it's ignorance. And then coupled with the fact that the people that are not ignorant are cowards.
0: Yeah. And right. The, and the, the the fact that children have not been allowed to go back to schools, which I think affects probably minority and poor children worse than anything, is such a sin and such a crime. It's part of this ultimate failure. This incredible. Uh, policy failure. The New York Times ran a, a piece saying to discuss the fact that these children will never catch up is to stigmatize them, mm-hmm. and I thought, no, it's to stigmatize you. You did this, you know. They and they they're like, makes the world own, better. Our, our elites own no mirrors. They, we have elites yeah. without mirrors. They never look at themselves. But the say, AFT oh, and I made the, the, the
3: NEA—they're making the world better. <laughs> <laughs> the world better. <laughs> <Because> Minneapolis. <laughs> many, Minneapolis got so much better since, uh, since what no, happened. Know, it's okay. gotten so <laughs> <laughs> much better. They it got t- better this week. Minneapolis this public schools let out the rest of the week. This is an, an updated form of slavery.
5: Like this this is an updated form of slavery. And this is the argument that I made in my first book that, you know, you I, I wasn't being funny when I called it a Democrat plantation. I wasn't trying to be, you know, yeah. controversial when I called it a plantation. When, when you examine what the Democrats did under under you know slavery when it existed in America and people were being chained, there was a reason why the slave codes did not allow black Americans to learn to read, right? The whole concept of education is that true education, real education, is that it frees your mind. So yeah. they're now realizing you you have to keep this population ignorant. If we want to enslave them, we have to keep them completely ignorant. So if you how want do we them not this? to be able
2: to read, you have to send them to the right. Looks <laughs> Yeah, literally, right. that's exactly right. If you want them to
5: never learn how to read, to never learn any hard academics, right? Yeah. These kids are not coming out. They can't do math. They don't. They're nothing about the sciences, right? But they can tell you about white privilege, right? They can tell you about how many genders. They're getting degrees in something that you should learn first grade: two genders. That's it, right? You're something kindergarten. Bathroom for a girl, bathroom for a boy. They're, they're, they're polluting all of this because the goal is to turn these people into slaves. And they're doing it successfully, by the way. They're so already turning them into economic a, slaves. You know, they
0: always say to us, whenever, whenever uh, Republicans say, gee, Democrats... With the slavers, Democrats started the Ku Klux Klan. Democrats started Jim Crow. They always say yes, but then everything changed, and now it's conservatives. But really, now Democrats have brought back segregation. They've stopped education. They've you, There they are more, more fatherless children clever. among the black community than there were when Democrats were actually selling their fathers down the river. Yeah. It's worse now. Their policies are yeah, worse that's, now. And they, that's they, the, like, that's also the awkwardness, though,
4: when we, we talk about the fact that schools are closed and they're not opening it. And we and we and we object to that, and that so that's also been a bit of balance in a balancing act I've been trying to figure out because I don't like how they've shut down the schools and but, also the school, but I don't like the schools. I also hate the schools, and I want the, I want the whole school system to be destroyed. So. Right. Um, but but I, I guess the, the the point is that we as a society need to move away from the government school system. In my opinion. You just you can't do it all at once at one time and, uh, and, and,
3: and leave these kids. <laughs> Why
5: not? Imagine if everybody just took their, just imagine this world. Everybody just took their child out of school.
3: Well, I mean, well, I was, I was asked that. by I was asked by a couple of, of billionaires if, if they could put their money into any one thing. What would it be? And I said subsidizing the ability of every child in America to remove themselves from a public school and go to a parochial school. Mm. Yeah. If, if, if you could do that, you'd radically shift the nature of the country. Mm-hmm. Radically shift the nature of the country. There, there's a point that occurred to me, and it's sort of ancillary, but I think that it's, it's an interesting one. And that, that is that the, 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 the media have almost tacitly acknowledged that there was a failure of due process and individual justice in this case. Because what they've been saying all along is, if we had not been out in the streets protesting, it wouldn't have ended this way. Mm. Uh, that's right. Yep. right? And the, 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 that, no, that's what they're it's... saying. They're saying, if we had not been out in the streets doing what we did, we are trying, what we did is what made the difference here. Well, if that's the case... That's, that's that ain't how the system's yeah. supposed to work, gang. I mean, that's the, the, if, if, if you protesting is what was the deciding factor in the case, you are tacitly admitting <laughs> yeah. the case that a lot of us are making, which is that the jury was not in all likelihood deciding solely on the merits of the case. No.
2: Fundamentally, every decision made in American public life right now is one of virtue. And the most virtuous thing is to be a victim. And the problem with teaching victimhood is that it is self-fulfilling. Every right. human right. being has been mistreated. Every human being has been prejudged. Every human being has been uh, unfairly punished for things that they did not do. Every human being has been punished fairly for what they did, which often feels like an injustice too, when you see that other people aren't being punished for the things that they do. Uh, That is life. At the same time, every human being has victimized someone. Every human being has prejudged someone. Every human being has punished someone for something that they didn't do. Every human being has gotten away with something for which they should be punished. That's also humanity. But the victim mentality tells you that if you rank in the victim hierarchy, instead of seeing yourself and your experiences as consistent with the experience of every other human in the fallen world, yours are unique. They're the result of forces that are arrayed against you. So you've been victimized, therefore. You've been prejudged, therefore. You've been uh, punished unfairly, therefore. You've gotten away with something, therefore. All of that self-reinforces. And this is what the, le- the the problem fundamentally with the religion of the left is that it is descriptive of the realities of the human experience. <laughs> what they tell you will happen, happens. Yeah. The only thing they're lying about is the cause. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, the fact that our entire society today is dedicated to promulgating the lie that everyone except essentially... Uh, conservatives, essentially men, essentially white conservative men, essentially white Christian conservative men, when it gets narrower and narrower, the group of people who are only exclusively victimizers, who've never experienced uh, any kind of oppression themselves, who've never <laughs> experienced any kind of hardship themselves, but have only wrought hardships upon others. They've they've opened up who is a victim to such a degree that people opt into victimhood. Yes. Why wouldn't you? They opt oh, into yeah. victimhood.
5: Yeah. And, and, and they're training people to believe, especially black Americans, that every bad experience that you have is because of racism. Right. And so this is a perfect conversation. My uh, perfect example of that in a conversation my husband had with a friend of his who is he's, you know, he's a liberal, but like he's not a leftist, I wouldn't say. And he wanted to talk to him about, you know, the race issues and kind of some of the things that I've said. And he said, you know, I have to say to you, he's half black, half white. You know, I have I have to say to you, George, you know, that I have had experiences, you know, as a as a black person, and, and, and George said, "Well, you know, give me an example." And he said, "You know, has it ever? You know, I was standing outside and somebody just handed me their keys and assumed I was the valet." And George said, "Do you know what's happened to me before too? Yeah, as a white man, like they they don't understand." that these things, I have been in a store before and saw saw a white girl and said, oh, uh, could you get me this size? I just thought she worked at the store. (laughs) It had nothing to do with the race. I just happened to be at a time where for whatever reason, maybe it was the way she was standing, hovering, I thought she worked at the store. But now you have black Americans that are being taught that every time something like that happens to them, it's because you're black. Right.
1: Right. It's because
5: you're black that that person thought you were the valley. It's because you're black that that person cut you off at the light. All of these mundane experiences, humane experiences that we that we all go to go through, are now being massaged by by the institutions and saying, well, that's exclusively happening because of race. Well,
6: they're being perceived only according to that lens. And it gets, I think you're totally right, Jeremy. I think this is all about virtue. And what you are seeing is a perfect inversion of the virtues, the, the traditional virtues, that, also known as the actual virtues. <laughs> it, you know, the, the left is faithless, op- openly faithless, openly fatalistic, <laughs> deeply uncharitable toward Everybody, but even think of humility. I mean, we now celebrate pride, and, and I'm not just talking about some guys wearing weird costumes on Coney Island. I'm t- pride has become a leftist virtue, as opposed to the true virtue of humility. Uh, yeah. Patience is, is a virtue, but we are now told to be patient is to uh, permit injustice to go. We now need to be reckless and impatient all the time. Temperance, whatever happened to temperance? That, all all of the virtues you can name, any of them, the left has totally inverted, and it it is. There is an established state church of leftism, no question about it. Some of this
4: goes back to, um, you saw some of this with the talk about the the bullying epidemic in schools. Yeah, and I I used to get in a lot of trouble when I would make this point about the bullying epidemic, which is, um, first of all, to your point, everyone's a victim and a victimizer. So when you talk about the bullying epidemic, it never made a lot of sense because it makes it sound like there's this group of bullies and they're the epidemic and then there's the bullied kids. Well, no, every kid bullies and every kid has also been bullied. Uh, so, rather than focusing all of our energy on trying to stop the the bad bullies from being so evil, maybe we should teach kids how to cope with these universal home- human experiences. A lot of that goes down to virtue: have some courage to stand up for yourself, have some yeah. patience. You know, all these things. But uh, but we can't we can't look at it through that lens because, of course, that's victim. Then we call that victim blaming, and we're not allowed to do
3: that. No, There's a point that I was speaking with Jordan Peterson about this recently, and and Jordan was ta- we were talking about the fact that Tanahashi Coates had. had essentially modeled Red Skull in the new Captain America comic <laughs> on Jordan. I mean, very clearly so. So first of all, put aside the absurdity of ta Coates, who literally wrote in his memoir about sitting on the top of a department building smoking weed while watching 9-11 and feeling nothing because he had so much hatred for the racial state of the United States, writing the Captain America comic. Put aside the, the bizarro nature of that. And yeah, now he's writing Superman, by the way. Right, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, the, the, the fact that, that he is, is you know, doing all that and that Jordan was the target we, we were sort of puzzling this over because Jordan isn't explicitly political. Jordan's main message is basically get your bleep together, right? If you had to sum it up in one sentence, yeah. that would be it, right? Make your own room, take re- take more responsibility on yourself. Pick your own make, make right, exactly. Yeah. Like like th- this is his whole shtick, right? And so we were discussing like why is that such a villain like how is that a red skull thing? How does that make you into literally Hitler? Right? Red skull is is is, is yeah. worse than Hitler. He's a breakaway from Hitler, right? He's Hitler's Hitler. And the and what he came to is that there are forces in our society that, that do see it as evil to actively promulgate the idea that you are in control of your own life. Because if you promulgate the idea that you're in control of your own life, then what you're, at, then what you're actually saying is that you're complacent about the systems that are the active powers in your own life. And you are taking away the impetus from the left and from the utopians in remaking those systems. You're saying you should really work on yourself first. You should really do all the things in yourself first and stop worrying so much about the systems. Then later we can work together to try and it, it, change those systems. But that's evil. That's you That's you being a collaborator in systems of evil because you're telling people to focus in on the things that actually bring them success within a system that needs to be torn yeah, down.
0: To, to Michael's point, Ibram Kennedy actually came out and said salvation theology is evil because once you have a set of values and there are people who don't fulfill those values and they are excluded, you know, like people who, I don't know, hold pregnant women at gunpoint while they ransack their house, you know, they suddenly are looked down upon for some reason. And I think that 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 actually is when you have values. I mean, look, these are not the first people, these points were being made in the 18th century. They, you know, these are not the first people to say once you have morals, uh, you know, some people are going to be blamed and maybe just getting rid of the morals will solve the problem.
2: We have to say goodbye to Candace. She is off to do a hit on Tucker Carlson.
5: Bye-bye. So if
2: you you want more wonderful Candace insights, unfortunately, you can't get them here. (laughs) 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 Head on over to Fox News, where Candace will be uh, at the top of the hour with Tucker. Candace, thanks for hanging out with us.
5: Thanks, guys. Good to see you.
2: Uh, We're still waiting. Remarks from the president and apparently the vice president. This is another thing about uh, the Joe Biden presidency that's so unique and so strange to me is that he can never just appear as president. It is this co-presidency, so we're awaiting remarks from the president and the vice president.
3: Like you remember, all I've never those... seen anything like it. That's yeah. unbelievable. It, I mean, they, they're actively transitioning her into the presidency while he's alive. It's an right. amazing thing, right? Like, can you imagine? I mean, put aside Trump and cha- uh, Trump and Pence because that's a, a relationship all of its own. But, the, but <laughs> right. can you imagine? Even Barack Obama doing this with Joe Biden. Well, did you even st- even to be in a room with Joe Biden for something <laughs> right. like this? Are you
6: are you kidding <laughs> did me? Did you see what happened just over the last couple of days? Joe Biden accidentally they let him talk to a reporter, yeah. and even underneath the mask, so he, you you could barely hear it, but you heard he says, <schoolphonics> "What was that?" Zoom in. He refers to the border crisis. Right. The right. White House has assiduously avoided using the yeah. term crisis. So a reporter asks Jen Psaki <laughs> in the briefing room, "Hey, he, you know the big guy's calling it a crisis now?" She says, "No." It is not the position of the White House that this is a crisis. Wow. And you know what? She's right. Yeah. Because yeah. Joe Biden ain't running that White House. Uh, yes. By the way, we have know. the wrong it's, person. You it's, it's
3: a waste, honestly, it's a waste of time to wait for Biden and, and wait for Harris because we already know what they're going to say. Right. Right. They're right. Gonna, the, the, what they're going to say is that justice was done today, but it's only the first step on our road toward great restorative justice and the ills of the country yeah. can never be healed by this. This won't bring George Floyd back, but this is a step in the right direction. And now what we need is comprehensive police reform and equity in all of our institutions. Done. It just saved you an hour.
0: Yeah. You, <laughs> you did. I, I would clear. you yeah, spoke yeah. that a little too clearly. Do yeah. you, didn't you didn't have math. enough yeah. weird
6: <laughs> cackles in there for the Kamala part? Or sort of spacey digressions for Joe?
0: So yeah, what happens... These guys are taking the fun out of human corruption. No. They find human corruption hilarious.
3: But now it's just too well, much When of they it. start winning, guys, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the part <laughs> where being from yeah, well, comedy to tragedy. It's like an overdose.
0: You know? <laughs> too much of a good thing. You know?
2: the, the beauty about believing in actual original sin is that in some ways they're always winning. Yes. Like I've been thinking yeah. a lot about the, the collapse of, of Christian America. And I think, well, Christian America in some ways has it coming.
0: I'm with you.
2: Because Christian America has made an idol of America. You know, Christian Christian America has taken the greatest gift that God has ever given to man, uh, the greatest secular gift that God has ever given to man, I should say, and the greatest accomplishment by man's hand in the history of man. And they've turned that into their golden calf. Like, we've made the best golden calf that has ever been made, and that is true. It doesn't, the one doesn't necessitate the other. Yeah. Except because original sin exists, it will always result in good, the other. Great this is, line in C.S.
0: Lewis, where he says, he says, it's a good time to hit a guy if you're, you know, when they're in the uh, screw tape letters where the demons are trying to corrupt people. He says, a good time to corrupt people is in middle age when they become successful because they think they're making their way in the world, but the world is really making its way in them. And I think that that's exactly what happened to the church in America. They had it so easy, they had all the respect, they had all the power you could ask for, they were uplifted, and they just thought, like, you know, Well, you you know, it's funny,
6: in Screwtape, there's another great line that applies here, which is, it says at times of war, you know, look, it's not necessarily a great time to go after a man because they can spur courage and all these sorts of things, but... You know, you can really, maybe the man, he'll become a jingoist, he'll become so insanely nationalistic that uh, you can get him that way, or he'll become a pacifist and he'll hate his country and you can get him that way. <laughs> but the one thing we can't have is an ordinate love of country. <laughs> because right. Love of country, patriotism, is a, an extension of filial piety. It is perfectly right to love your country, but you're right, you can make an idol out of this sort of thing, yeah. and uh, we know, you know what happens when people it, make idols. Yeah.
2: If you want to save America, if you want to save America sort of the unique gift that God has given, uh, you actually have to, and this this ties into the entire conversation tonight. You have to remember that you are an individual. You have to remember that you're not America. You don't deserve any credit for World War II. No one's sitting here. No one's. We like to say we put a man on the moon. No one's sitting here. No, put he a man on the moon. We that. defeated the Nazis. No, we didn't. We defeated the Japanese. No, we didn't. All the people who did, almost all the people who did, are dead. Yeah. Those individuals. Showed great courage. Now, it's not wrong of us to have pride in the accomplishments of our fathers. Gratitude, perhaps. Gratitude for the accomplishments of our fathers. It is wrong for us to assume uh, (laughs) credit for the victories of our fathers. We have not earned those victories. We've not earned that credit. If you want you know, America as we've traditionally understood it, if you want uh, Christianity in this country or religion in this country as we have historically religious freedom in this country as we have historically understood it, you have to be as great That's, as all the people who actually that, earned that, those that, things. Their
0: achievements are actually an accusation. They're an actual call to responsibility. That's the right. fact that our fathers did that means that we have to at least, at the very least, tell HR that, like, you know, no, I'm not going to curse whiteness. Right. That's, <laughs>
6: That's right. We you know? have to show even the most you know? small <laughs> modicum of courage. I do, I do want to clarify, though. So, it, you know, we don't get to claim their accomplishments, like Washington and Jefferson and all that. Does it make us great if we just like rip down all their statues? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good. That, that's a good okay, go
4: I, I, Part of the problem for the church is that our threats that we face are all or mostly spiritual. We don't we don't have those right physical outward <laughs> threats that that force you to make that choice. Like even Christians still today face some of the worst persecution in two thousand years of church history yeah. Yeah. in other parts of the world. Where, you know, there are so many cases you could point to, but um, there's one case a few years ago in, in Egypt, the, the Christians were uh, on, a, on a bus on the way to a monastery in the desert to pray, and uh, some, some jihadists stopped them, pulled them off the bus, and asked each one of them individually, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, they were shot and killed. And that's one of those moments where it's like, this really is the time to choose. Am I going to be a Christian or not? And... Um, and we don't really—we don't have situations like that, so yeah. we can kind of float our way through the culture without ever facing that, that external threat where we have to, to make that choice.
3: Well, th- but th- this is a place where conservatives really need to start doing something that is very counter-conservative, which is we really start need to unify and collectively, um, mm-hmm. because there is a certain sort of solidity in numbers. We're very individualistic. We've talked a lot about individualism tonight and the value of seeing yourself as an individual as opposed to a member of a, of an, a tribe of mutable characteristics— but it is, it's very difficult if you're the one employee at your company to get up and say something and then get fired. What we actually need are broad movements of people in the United States to basically be the wobblies. Like, okay, fine, you're going to fire this guy. We're all going to leave. Yeah, right. right. You're, it you're is gonna, about
2: creating community, but at the actual level of community. Yeah. Correct.
3: Not online community, yeah. not hypothetical community. Right. It's about forming connections. And this is a place where the conservative community has, has really failed because conservatives used to leave it to the church to do that. And churches, especially over the last year, since they've been forcibly disbanded by the federal government, (laughs) uh, churches have have lost a lot of capacity to do that. And they've lost a lot of the internal cohesion that, that conservatives used to find in community. And so we're going to have to find some ways. I think, honestly, we should be doing that at Daily Wire. I think that over the course of the coming years, we at Daily Wire should be finding ways where we can bring people together so they feel a sense of community and they feel a sense of solidarity and feel yeah. a sense of solidity. Yeah, we should. But point, if they stand up, we're all going to stand up at the same that's, time. We on should our hind point legs. out
0: that having courage does not mean sticking your head in the cannon's mouth. It means t- strategizing and gathering yeah, that's, together. Prudence is a virtue
4: too. That's one thing. Prudence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, I, I think we probably all get this all the time. But when you go out to, to speak or something and you meet you meet people. Yeah. Who are uh, followers of Daily Wire? One thing I often hear is, "Oh well, you know, I like listening to you because I'm, I'm just—it lets me know that I'm not alone. You know, and right. I, I feel like I'm alone, and yeah. and you hear this yeah. especially on college campuses all the time. And um, it, it's crazy because we hear that so often. It's like, of course we're not alone. There are millions of us out there, but somehow we can all still feel like like we're the only. But do you, do you know what
6: conservatives do? And this it drives me crazy. And you you hear it attacked on all sides, which is that you know fusionism was really awful because of, you know, Buckley wasn't strong enough or Reagan wasn't strong enough or this or that. We all, there are all these different kinds of conservative, right? There's the traditional conservatives, there's the libertarians, there's the neocons, there's the populists, there's the this, there's the that. There's the, you could go into a room of 100 conservatives and they could all agree on 90% of things and they'd find the, the 10% and all fight each other all, all day and they won't unite. Well, guess what, folks? If we, I'm not saying, the, I don't think the conservative coalition that existed, say, from the end of the Second World War through the end of the Cold War, I don't think that Exactly is going to be the future, but there has to be a coalition
3: because yeah. there there ain't enough that's other the, tra- and traditionalists or libertarians to
0: make, yes. a coalition.
3: Yeah. But I, and, yeah. and, I, and I think that, but there is something to I think even the notion of physical togetherness. I think the way you saw over the last I year with the left that was so transformational. Yeah. Uh, is that and, and greenlit by our corrupt media and our corrupt public health establishment, who said that in the middle of the pandemic it was totally fine to congregate so long as you weren't mentioning Jesus. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> really, I mean that, that's right, really right. what it was. Um, you could you can mention racial justice, but if you mention God yeah. back to back home with you, uh, then the 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 giant. I mean, there are 20 million people in the streets. Yeah. 20 million people in the streets It was the single largest protest movement in American history. Yeah. And it wasn't just rioters. Right. I mean, there were riots and that's what we pay attention to on the right. But there was this huge movement of people who are out there feeling solidarity with each other. The left has found its solidarity. They found when we say that politics is a religion of the left. I don't just mean that they see politics in a religious way. I mean they find a religious community, which yeah. is really how most people interact with religion. Mm-hmm. With they find a religious religion. community in politics, yeah. Yeah. and so for them, Twitter is a church group. For, for, for right. them, for them, when they when they go to a political event, it is the equivalent of me going to synagogue on a Saturday and reading from the Bible. Right. And for conservatives, we we don't have that because, again, we used to think that church was the place you go to get that. Yeah. But we're going to need to start figuring but out some also, ersatz way of coming together here or it's or it's going to collapse the, really, really quickly. The
4: people in the street, they also knew what they were there for. Like, they, they, they have a very simple concept of anti-racism. We're, we're fighting racism. Most of their ideas about that are false, of course, but that's what they're there for. Um, the problem for conservatives that we always talk about is, we don't really even agree on what we're fighting for. So what, okay, they're in the street saying, we're going to take down racism. What are we in this, what's on our banner? What, what, what even are we saying? Well, this is the I, issue. I think if we put a hundred of us in a room, you are going to get like 90 different answers <laughs> to
6: what should be on the banner. And we always a problem. We always talk about free speech in the abstract. I like free speech in the abstract. We talk about freedom of religion in the abstract. I like freedom of religion in the abstract. Those things don't really matter if you don't have something to say. If you don't have something that you believe. You've, you've actually got to, Fill it in. We like the abstract stuff, but there there is a real practical tradition here we've got to deal with. And so we gotta figure out what do we wanna say, what do we want to believe in. I'm not saying it has to be strictly the, the, religious. The
2: way. funny thing is, uh I don't disagree with you guys, but I actually don't think that what we that what we lack is a rallying cry. Because we are conservatives, we're content to be reactionary and just rally against whatever the left is doing today. <laughs> <laughs> what we actually lack is community, and it's why the last year There's has no been so... De- There's, There's no, no infrastructure. infrastructure. And Extra. one of the reasons the last year has been so devastating is because when, when you work for some massive corporation that hasn't been able to bring its employees back, for, or hasn't had the courage to bring its employees back for the last year, and you're taking some sort of anti-racist HR lecture <coughs> on how it, whiteness comes inherently with guilt or whiteness comes inherently with uh, oppression, and you're taking it over Zoom... You can't even glance around the room to see who else is looking at their <laughs> shoes. Yeah, You have okay. no ability right. to seek out anyone who agrees with you in real time in that situation. You are truly alone, and truly alone, most people lack courage. Really, so love has taken away all the collective space. So many, so many
0: conservatives are calling saying that the solution is going to have to be more localism. You know, the Benedictine option and Mm -hmm. the whole idea that we're going to have to retire into our communities. I don't, you know, I don't think that would work any more than it was going to work for Switzerland during World War II. Ultimately, (laughs) you do that. You're alone and you're surrounded and you're going to lose. You know, I think that we really do have to have A a movement. And and you're right, too. It's got to be a coalition movement because we are very different. We are individuals. We do believe in uh, letting each. You know, this is the thing. We don't believe in shutting each other down. We don't believe in telling each other (laughs) to shut up. We believe
3: in actually talking about. This is why what the left has done over the course of the last 20 years is one of the honestly, it's one of the great political maneuvers in human history. Oh, yeah. They've taken over every institution in American life. Every single and one. Without question. They're the resistance. Yeah. They're, the resistance. Yeah. they're the powerful, but they're also the resistance. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. And the, the fact that <coughs> they've been able to take over every-
2: Sorry, industry. Ben, I'm going to interrupt you. We have the co-presidents, <laughs> uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. In fact, Kamala Harris coming to the microphone first. Let's hear from Good the evening. White House. There's the president and co-president of the United <laughs> States of America, both addressing the nation with essentially three messages. America is fundamentally evil and racist- uh, we should all come together and agree with the co-presidency, and we must transfer even more power into the federal government. That,
0: that was disgusting. That was a disgusting speech. It was so dishonest. It was so thick with lies. To talk about this country as if, no, you know, as if like Rod Steiger were running police departments from in the heat of the night, mm-hmm. you know, okay. that, that you couldn't get a, a conviction against a dishonest cop. We get them all the time. This is not the 1930s. It's not the 1940s. Police Departments have been revolutionized in the last 20, 30 years. They look like the neighborhoods they police. They are completely integrated. Every city in America has changed in the terms in terms yep. of policing. This was not. This was not a. Let, let's just say for a minute that the verdict was correct. So what? Well, what happens is, all the, the time. Thing.
3: We get correct so verdicts all the time. Both of those speeches were about how America is racist. Again. Where is the racial component of the where is uh, that's another. where is it? Like, did, has anyone yet provided the shred of evidence to suggest that it was a racial killing? I wasn't even like, you like, know it, why. None. And then not only that, you have Joe Biden out there saying that America's police. All of our systems are actually systemically racist. And that if you're a black person in America, you should feel at existential risk just by living, just by living your life. You could be you could be killed at any moment. But also most cops are good. I don't believe you. I don't believe that that's what you think about cops. Yeah. If, you you, if, well, you if what you think is that, America, because these these two are in their mutually exclusive positions, if most cops are wonderful, good people, and only a few are bad apples, then how can you argue that the system of policing is so fundamentally broken that black people are walking around in mortal fear for their lives every single day? Like, it's not that I'm clairvoyant when I said what exactly <laughs> they would say. It's that their agenda is perfectly clear. Yeah. And it's always the same, which is, let us take a data point. The data point may not fit our narrative, but we'll twist it so that it does fit our narrative, right? We won't actually have to show evidence that it was a racial killing, but we'll say that it was a racial killing because then it fits our narrative. then we take that racial narrative, and then we blow it up so that it is all-encompassing. It is the narrative of all of America. And then, if you just give us more power, then we will fix it for you. But don't worry, because here's the thing. It will never reach the promised land. We will always be Moses on the mountaintop gazing over at the promised land, but we will never reach it. It's like Zeno's paradox. The closer we get to paradise, we are still not—we're never going to reach paradise, which means if you just keep incrementally giving us power, then— at least we're moving in the right direction. There's no mission accomplished here at any point. Now, listen, I think the life is about there never being a mission accomplished banner because there's really never a mission accomplished banner in life. Yeah. But you have to at least have some metric when you suggest that massive power is to be shifted from the individual to the federal government. You have to have some metric of success that you can demonstrate. And there is no metric of success that they can demonstrate yeah, along anywhere. Here.
0: There has to be no room for hate in the heart of any American. Yes. That's 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 the, what, that's what the, he said. That's right. that's what he said. And I mean, first of all, hatred is a perfectly reasonable emotion to show in some, some cases. And part of the, what defines us is what we hate. There's always going to and there's always going to be sinful hate. There's always going to be wrongful hate in, in, in well, America and everywhere else. So it's
3: part and parcel of the, the redefinition of humanity. That if you if you redefine all the systems of the of the government, if you redefine all the systems and institutions in which we live, be. you will remake human beings yep. into to pure angels. And that, that's, that's endemic to everything that they're saying. Yeah. The funny thing is pure angels
2: have hate. Here's some <laughs> member questions. Do y'all think they're letting riots go on to create a crisis that they'll solve with nationalized police? Can this go hand in hand with defunding local police and passing gun control to finally create a totalitarian federal government?
0: That is what I think they want is they want federal police. They, they do not like the fact that the police are responsible to the community. They, Obama was doing that town after town, was uh, forcing Sense them into grief. federal oversight. Yep. And every time he did it, crime went up because the rules of engagement became so absurd. It, local policing is one of the great uh, things that America has. The fact that you have a, you know, if you live in Nashville, you have the Nashville police. They know the community. They're responsible to the community. The federal government hates that. They hate people. They hate the people. They hate the people. They do not trust the people. They don't respect the people. They think the people should not be making their own decisions. They think the problem, the endemic racism, is not in the government. It's not in the system of government. It is in the people. They do not like the yeah. very idea. When you talk about individuals, they hate that. They hate the idea that we are a mass of individuals, each with his own desire to make our lives better, which is what powers America, what's made America great. Well, the, this people, by the way, is the next great they, conflict. And they just despise
3: it. The next great conflict is going to be federal state. Right, because yeah. it, because yeah. the, the goal of the Democrats yes. right now is to yes. federalize all the things. Yeah. Right? It's not just about federalizing police forces, which is barred by the Posse Comitatus Act, and you can't do it legally. But what what it really more than that is about, it, they're trying to federalize all voting procedure. That's yeah. right. they, they, want, they want literally everything run at the top level so they can remove all power from the states to provide any sort of barrier to what it is that they would like to do in reshaping all of America, which is why you're seeing governors increasingly in red states say, listen, you can pass whatever laws you want, we're not helping you enforce them. Yep.
0: And yeah. the, the last bailout bill... Uh, Forbid states to raise taxes, basically. Which, Cutting taxes, yeah, cut taxes. <laughs> cut taxes. <laughs> you, cut taxes. you talk about uh,
4: they hate the people yeah. that they're leading, and that's you find this in the cities, too. The, 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 the people running the cities despise those cities and despise the people in it, which is you can't lead something that you hate. And, I mean, a really absurd example that everyone laughed about because it was hilarious but also really disturbing is, I forget which city it was, but there was some mayor of a city, maybe it was in South Carolina, where she wrote this weird poem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> comparing her city to a rapist, Charlotte. and it, 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 it's Charlotte. yeah, right, Charlotte. right, Charlottesville, and it's and yeah, it's 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 funny because it's so absurd, but also, you're the mayor of the city, and this is
3: what you <laughs> think of your your city that you lead. It's just. There's no way to hate to, to lead something but th- that you this hate. This is also what I was saying about the revolution from inside the institutions. right? This is what they've actually realized now, is yeah. that it used to be the revolutionaries were against the people who wanted to use the institutions for change. Right. right? This is the conflict between the radicals and like the LBJ administration, for example. And now they've realized, what if it's just perpetual revolution from the inside? What if we just take over the institutions from the inside and we use those for the perpetual revolution? Because there is something odd about watching Joe Biden, a creature of government for his entire adult life. Yeah. A person who's been in Washington, D.C. on the taxpayer dime for his entire adult life. Since before he was constitutionally old enough to serve. Correct. And there's something weird about that guy talking about the systems of American racism and how they're deeply embedded. And that guy's been in Congress since 15 years before I was born. I mean, he's been there forever. And, And yet he's capable of doing this work because he's going to shift the institutions into instruments of the revolution.
2: So another member question, Do you think that Biden and Kamala actually believe their lies or are they so engrossed in pushing their narrative that they're just fine with completely lying to the American people? I don't think Biden believes anything,
4: really. I think I think part of that is a function of the fact that he's been in government forever. So he's just been you can't survive in government for that long um, and have any real conviction. You have to be totally emptied of any personal convictions at all. And also he's he's half senile, which is which he is clearly. Um, As far as Kamala, I think it's I think it's the same thing. But they they don't we we, we were talking about this off there. Do they when they talk about George Floyd and and how they're still mourning him after all this time? Do the people saying that uh, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, do they really feel that inside their hearts? So are, are they personally a year later still in mourning over this guy? They didn't even know. Um, it's, it's hard to believe. I don't think they do, but a lot of the people in the streets are indoctrinated, so for,
6: so for them it's real. To quote a very famous politician, what is truth? <laughs> Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is a cynic, so he says, what is truth? It's, it's not that he's pushing lies. It's not, it, he just doesn't care about the truth. And he is, in some ways, the archetypal politician because politicians generally are focused on their interests and are not so concerned with eternal truths. And this is especially true of the left, which even at the intellectual level very often denies objective truth. This is so much what the upheavals of the, especially the 1960s and 70s were about is denying that there's, there's anything permanently true, that it's all, it's all just social constructs. This is a sort of cosmic accident. And so ultimately, what does politics come down to? It comes down to constructing a narrative that may or may not have any relationship to reality. In so doing, through this act of redefinition and narrative, changing the reality and therefore forcing our will on people as a brute interest group. I think, I think Kamala and Joe absolutely believe that, and I think they're doing a very good job at it.
2: Next question. Why is the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States, why are they giving a statement at the end of a trial as if it affects the nation in any way?
0: <laughs>
3: that's a, well, that's Ben's point of it. Really, this it's an is individual not a criminal trial. We have thousands of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> every single, every single, every single. Day. Every single and, day. and it's not representative. This is the thing, you know. When when they were making movies against the war on terror, they would make movies in which American soldiers would rape like Iraqi women and things like that. And their argument would always be, "Well, this really happened." And you'd think, OK, it really happened. But was it representative? There were 200,000 troops over there. Right. One guy does a bad thing. Is that representative of what the military is actually doing? Is that the war story, the only war story you're going to tell?
3: This is the game the left is constantly playing now, right? Which is they take a, a piece of anecdotal data. It doesn't even have to back, really, what they're saying. And then they just spin it into whatever they want it to be. Right. And then they say, this piece of anecdotal data is evidence of the entire system. Right? This, is, by the way, is every Ta-Nehisi codes column for the last 10 years. Right? Here's something bad that happened in 1890 in Tuscaloosa. And it was really, really bad. Yeah. And now if you fast forward 130 years, nothing has changed. Yeah. And, and, and you're like, well, some things happened between <laughs> 1890 and now. Like a few things happened, it seems like. And, and I, I
2: even love this on the alt-right when they're like, what about the USS Liberty uh, being yeah. bombed by the
3: Israelis in the 1960s? Now, yeah, what about the British burning down the White House? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? When, when, you, when you don't provide any data, there, there was, a, there was a, a wonderful piece. And when I say wonderful, I mean horrific piece in the Washington Post um, by a, a columnist. And there was one line in it that just struck me forcibly. She was talking about how she feels as a black woman in America dealing with the police and looking at all these tapes. And she was talking about how, how terrifying it is to deal with the police and the threat of the police. She didn't have any actual anecdotal even experiences personally with her bad experiences with the police. But at one point she says she says statistically it would seem statistically that you're more that I'm more likely to be shot by a police officer than a crackhead. Now normally a sentence like that is followed by, you know, a statistic. It would seem statistically. <laughs> yeah. I mean the word statistically usually conveys some sort of statistical information. No, it was just the end of a parenthesis move on with the story. Because there is no statistic by which you are more likely to be shot by a cop right. than a crackhead. Who right?
2: said on Twitter this week? Uh, a black person has a 50-50 Chelsea, shot. Chelsea Ch- Handler. Chelsea
4: Handler said 50-50 shot of being shot by the cops. Of course, there's no statistical reality there. Some of this goes back to a book that's come up. <laughs> we've talked about it before on Backstage, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, and he talks about the you know, the, the birth of psychological man. And that's, that's what we are. We're, if something is, seems psychologically to be true, if it seems true to you, then that's all that matters. The statistics don't don't play into it. So the
0: terrible thing about that is that's what racists tell me, too. When 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 people who don't like black people will say to me, well, in my experience, this has happened and that's happened. You go like, well, maybe that's not the whole world. But they say the same thing. It's my lived experience. How can you argue?
6: You know, getting back, though, to the questioner, I do think we have to correct the questioner because they said, why are the president and vice president making a statement now after the trial's over, after it doesn't matter? The president and vice president made statements before the trial was (laughs) over, too. Joe Biden made one this week and obviously pressured the jury. Joe Biden made a statement
4: making it clear that he wanted a guilty verdict. And a few hours later, the verdict came. I'm not saying that those two things are necessarily connected, but (laughs) But I'm I'm also not convinced that they're a coincidence. I
2: want to thank everyone for spending time with us on this uh, difficult day for the country. A special thank you to our DailyWire.com subscribers who make it possible for us to bring you the show today ad-free. We didn't think it would be appropriate to have ads uh, in an episode where we were dealing with such sensitive subject matter. So a big thank you to our DailyWire.com subscribers. You could join them over at Uh, DailyWire.com. We talked a lot on this show about building community. We would love for you to be a part of the community that we're building at The Daily Wire. Just our first step uh, is is, uh, creating this subscription platform where our members can not only interact with us, interact with our content, uh, but more and more as our technology evolves. We'll be able to interact with each other. Obviously, it's going to take more than that. You need to create community right where you are, too. So, right after you log into DailyWire.com and become a subscriber, uh, go talk to one of your neighbors. Uh, go back to your church. Uh, talk to the people who are actually in your community. Help them be better. Get them to help you be better. We're not going to retake America through politics alone. We're only going to uh, we're only going to take back America if we deserve her, and we only deserve her if we fight the battle against actual original sin, the sin that is within. Uh, We'll be seeing you guys next week for the president's State of the Union address, and of course these guys. (laughs) (laughs) these guys will all be seeing you right back here tomorrow. We're so excited. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot.